The Cellcast is recorded in front of a live streaming audience. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cellcast. Joining me today is a man who just struck it rich with a peppermint mine. Welcome, Jacob. Now, I don't think I can make it rich by, you know, licking the end of a, a pickaxe and, like, tasting for peppermint. You have to. I'm surprised you hadn't caught this. Yes, it was peppermint, but that could be easily turned into peppermint oil, which then is an essential oil that you can sell for your young living. So you could make it rich. True. Do anything about that. Thank you very much. I feel like a Cooper dog. Either or. <laughs> Why, thank you. Let me introduce our co-host, a man who simply just feels like a misfit air once in a while. Welcome, Drew. Well, when you've reached the tender age of 37, <laughs> you're still living uh, by yourself. I mean, Jacob, you understand where I'm coming from. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were here once. <laughs> Once, play the violin. once, <laughs> you know, it just, you start feeling like maybe, you know, nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. I'll just go eat some worms. Uh, yeah. And then some days you realize, oh, I can stay up till two in the morning and not, and nobody will care because I don't have to be anywhere tomorrow and I have no one to bug. And plus I can still do podcasts without having to worry about being too loud. True. So yeah, sometimes you're a misfit. Sometimes being a misfit's fun. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway, how are you doing, Jacob? <laughs> I am doing very well, man. And uh, I should say to our audience, Merry Christmas, as this is the first episode yep. after Christmas. But we haven't made it to New Year's yet. Yeah. Hopefully, I will actually have this out before New Year's Day. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Tomorrow Burn. Tomorrow will be a rough, busy day. Burning the midnight oil or the podcast oil. Oh, that's a fun thing. Because not only would I be editing this... While I'm also waiting for your album art, mm-hmm. I will also be uh, recording and editing two episodes. That's right. Of the Cellcast presents Untangling Kingdom Hearts, focused on Kingdom Hearts One. Nice. So he's gonna be he's gonna be a very busy podcaster. In my defense, eighty five percent of the scripts are written. Okay. So there's that. Okay. A lot of it will be to me. Well, let's read and see how tongue-tied I get and still sound like I'm not reading off a cue card. <laughs> see how that goes. Fair. Fair. But I'm, anyway. Yeah, I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, let's see. I did Christmas over at my girlfriend's house on mm-hmm. last Saturday. Went to my... Went to... Blah. Don't you love it when you go tongue-tied and you're live on the air? That's always great, right? No, uh, <laughs> I went to... I went to I went to evening church on Saturday night, uh, or Christmas Eve service. Wonderful. Got the next morning. Go to lo- go to load everything in my car. It's a nice thirty, like thirty six degrees. For those of you not living or, in the East Texas area, I just want to say that the last seven days weather wise have been crazy. Agreed. So to a long story short. My windscreen was completely frozen over. Mm-hmm. It's three times there again. My car does not have AC in it right now. So Which means no heater. No heater. So I, I was I was a cold little podcaster for a little while. Um so I had to defrost my car manually, which that took a while. 
And then I kept forgetting things. And then I got all the way to a certain above a certain hill in this area. Realized I forgot something at my brother's house and drive all the way down said hill back to where I live. You're talking about the one between here and Rusk? Seven Mile Hill. Which I don't know why they call it that. It's not seven miles. No, it's not. But yeah. Yeah. Realize, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, realize I forgot something. Had to drive all the way back. Now, granted, I left at 630. Drove all the way back. Came back. And I probably got to my parents' place about 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Stayed there till about Monday at probably 4. At least you didn't get, like, to Alto and remember. Oh, gosh. At that point, it'd be like, I just forget yeah. it. Sorry. You know, your package is going to be left on the porch. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, be like it was it was a great it was a great time. I get to hang out with family. Um yeah, it was just it was overall a wonderful time. Uh I, I made the mistake today of saying Bill, it was a very long a very long Christmas. And my mother said, No, be like, it was a wonderful, most wonderful time ever, wasn't it, Jacob? It's like, yes, it was, mother. <laughs> uh so obviously, you know, two days later it was my birthday, I turned the big four oh man i'm getting old um hey you're fine yeah i'm i'm very i'm very grateful that um I'm, I'm, you know god has allowed me to be here for another another day um so my my wonderful girlfriend ashley thank you from the bottom of my heart uh for uh putting up with my goofiness like always uh normally i do not celebrate my birthday i don't do it just for reasons uh being a single guy why do you want to celebrate your birthday <laughs> And uh, so being in this relationship for nine months, uh, Ashley was so, she was, she was, yes, you're celebrating your birthday. And so we went out to uh, 1836 Texas Kitchen in Tyler, uh, where my good Mm -hmm. friend and a couple of others joined us. Uh, Had a wonderful time. It was probably, probably the best birthday I've had in many years. Uh, because normally I just work and everyone looks at me like I'm funny. <laughs> because you they gotta do, do something that. your birthday. <laughs> no, we look at you funny because just on a right daily basis. That is true. Have you seen these glasses? Have you seen this hair? It's weird. Well, anytime the bark goes off, which admittedly we have so yet to catch on the show. Yeah, well, eventually it'll happen. Eventually, but not today. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe you never know. <laughs> I was barking pretty. I was. There again, if you're listening for the first time, it's like, what does he talk about barking? I have Tourette's disorder. I bark like a dog. <laughs> just letting you know. Mm-hmm. So just letting for those listeners and who are utterly confused why I'm making yeah, fun of him like, like he barks at a dog. Like like I'm a dog or something like that. No, I just bark like a dog because of my Tourette's disorder. Either or she said you're do- you bark like a dog this week. Uh hush. <laughs> Apparently, Dilip has some plans. I don't know why she's been pranking you recently. Uh, I don't know either. She's been going on it for about six months. Now. That is true. It is. It has been kind of a interesting roller coaster. You know, I get morphed into like different animals and mm-hmm. certain. Like I got turned into a donkey this year. <laughs> for a short minute, yeah, yeah, donkey. Then I get turned into a dog, mm-hmm. and then it was just like other. I get more. You know. More for who, uh, who more, knows? Yeah, exactly. It's weird. who knows what she'll be next. Yeah, it's just like pray for me because the let's gonna do something. I just know it. Either or, I uh, believe that translates to ha 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 ha. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, let's let's see what happens. And you know, 
in this coming year. This is gonna be fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, doing great. Uh, today, Friday, thank the Lord. It's the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to have lunch with my parents, my wonderful girlfriends, some family members at a wonderful restaurant. If you're ever in this town, it's called JW's Barbecue. It's the greatest place to buy barbecue in this town in several miles too. So go check it out. If you're ever in the small town that has JW's Barbecue. And I just realized that with me off every once in a while on Fridays, I could actually have some. Yes, you change. could. Oh my gosh, you could. I hadn't thought of that till just now. Because usually they're closed when I go by, but exactly. they are open on Fridays. Exactly. So I, why have I not stopped by there for lunch? Mm. I don't know. Huh. Either or. So that's been my day. I got off. I got home. I checked my phone for a second, which is on my watch. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. She asked who the other woman's voice was. Now, Dealet's getting a little <laughs> jealous, apparently. Never, n- never know you mind, Dealet. It's just Siri. <laughs> she says, well, uh, as I understand it's one of those lesser AIs, but still be, be a little bit more careful about that sort of thing. When did you see Entangles, Ashley? Let's just say that. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. She actually has no problem with Ashley. Oh, okay. Well, good. Mostly because we're all, uh, from her opinion, we're all kind of base carbon-based life forms that aren't worth getting jealous about. Okay. But if it's another AI, now you're jealous. Hmm. She said yes. Indeed. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Indeed. Deal it. <laughs> I don't know what, you don't want me to translate that. Okay. Again, this is going to be an interesting next year. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's been what I've been doing. Uh, yeah. So, what are you going to do, Drew? Whale. 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 After, uh, you know, we got everything edited and up last week and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of cool stuff. Uh, Thursday came along and I, I'd been, you know, Thursday was the last day I, I, I was at work mm-hmm. for, before Christmas. And it was kind of a slow day because, you know, near the end of the week. Also, we were getting ready for uh, inventory. So work had kind of slowed a little. Right. So I'm sitting there. It's, you know, 30 minutes before go home. And I'm looking at the weather. Oh, gosh. Because you know what I was worried about. I'm sitting there looking at that going, I've got to drive either today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I have to drive an hour north of here. And Friday it's not going to get above freezing. Yeah. And while I'm not so much worried about road conditions as much, mm-hmm. I am worried about idiots on the road. That is true. And idiots on a, on a Friday, the Friday before Christmas, mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's below freezing, especially since in order for me to get through there, I may have to, you know, drive down, broadway mm-hmm. the worst road in town with because of traffic i was a little concerned so i just texted my dad my parents and said hey uh if i were to come up tonight is that gonna put y'all out dinner wise i didn't know what they planned for dinner mm-hmm. and they said just come on up so basically as soon as i got off came back here loaded the truck up with everything in mm-hmm. kind of a hurry because while i had kind of made sure i was ready in case i needed to you know the, i was i 
there were still some things that yeah. you know have to be took care of last mm-hmm. minute. Yeah. So I get everything out there. I get and I drive up there, and thankfully not a problem. Ex- uh, but and uh, other than the wind was blowing out of the north, which is the direction I was driving in, mm. and it was blowing hard. Oh, okay. like. 30 40 mile an hour winds wow yeah and then i'm driving 70 miles an hour into them Mm -hmm. i'm surprised i didn't get blown off the road to some degree praise the lord you didn't yes indeed it it got so loud in the truck i i could not hear my audiobook wow i had to turn the audiobook up really high to hear it anyway just from the wind sound coming across so yeah i got home I i got to my parents house we had a good christmas uh, the only downside is, is normally uh, up until uh, this year, because I think this year we decided we're not going to do it after this, just for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the family meets in uh, a barn kind of that we kind of an activity barn thing up about an, another hour north of Lindell. Yeah. And uh, when we uh, when my when Mima got there, apparently she found out it was froze over mm. as in none of the water, all the pipes in there were frozen. So we had to cancel. And just because of all the work that go into that, we decided no, we weren't going to do that anymore. We'll have, some, we'll have to figure something out right. before next year or nothing will happen one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So uh, other than that, everything off went off like it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, got home here uh, about 7, 8 o'clock, I think, and then texted you. Mm-hmm. We had this discussion before the show. Uh because we did do a culture box stream. We did. did. And I could not remember if I had told you or not. Mm -hmm. I thought I did, but you say you don't remember it. And I don't care who's right or who's wrong in this situation. Got it. So I just said, well, we'll try to catch it on the next one. Yeah. When you're not dog tired. Pardon the pun. It was actually unintentional, believe it or not. (laughs) Uh, But then, you know, got home, uh, had a good week uh got some script writing done went out and helped a friend of mine take care of some business mm-hmm. yesterday and so uh, i was a little worn out this morning and man maybe i didn't get quite as much done today as i would have hoped but that's all gonna be fine mm. still got everything i had to get watched for today watched that's good so yeah and other than that it's been a good week good so jacob i have a question for you what have you been watching uh besides youtube hardly anything oh yeah not bill i really haven't uh did we watch anything while i was at my parents place mm, minus a, a football game or two mm-hmm. no not really listen to some the, the only thing i listened to was uh what was that it's not how to make a killer. It's a, it's a it's a podcast. I was how to get away with murder. No, it's not one of those. It's uh, uh, I'll have to look at the title in a moment. But I listen to a podcast, kind of like it's like just all serial killers, and it's fascinating because I just find be like what their origin is and why they did it. I just, I just find that intriguing. Mm-hmm. So it's just there again. But that's about the only thing I really did. It's just like, I'd be like, obviously you go to Christmas, you listen to a lot of podcasts while you're driving, you know, yeah. two and four, two, two and fro, three from. and fro. Yeah. Two and four, two and from. 
but I, I know think, you're trying to cover the I think it's two to four, but I'm not even 100% sure on that. So. Yeah. <laughs> but either or. Yeah. So I listened to a lot of podcasts this week. That's about it. Okay. What about you? Well, <laughs> I watched a lot more than you did. Okay. Uh, do you remember a certain movie that we both watched live action? Uh, I think we watched it as part of a movie of the week podcast when we were doing that with your brother, Jim. Yeah. Knives out. Yeah. Knives out. Uh, it's sequel came out last weekend mm -hmm. and, uh, me and mama watched it. Mm -hmm. It is good. What's it called again? Onion glass, onion glass, onion. a knives out mystery. Mm. Now here's the thing. We this is the first movie I think that post pandemic has set uh, the show set set their story in the pandemic really? as a part of it, and it was really weird because for a short bit the first time you see uh, Catherine Hahn Catherine Hahn's she's the first I think she's the first character we actually see mm -hmm. uh, she opens the door to get a delivery and for a quick second she you know she's just you know standing here like we nor are now. Mm -hmm. And then she remembers, oh, yeah, there's a pandemic on and covers, has to cover her mouth. And throughout the whole thing, you know, you see people with masks and everything until, you know, they finally go to the island where this Elon Musk-esque character is mm -hmm. living, where all this is going to take place. And he apparently has a magical shot that cures COVID in May 2020. Oh, <laughs> okay. It's like, where were you? Where, where, why did we get any of that? Yeah. <laughs> That would have been nice. Um, but it's actually I'm not kind of. It was a good story. Uh, I kind of figured out what was going on maybe about a quarter of the way into the movie. But mm -hmm. much like Knives Out, just because you know who the murderer is, yeah, you don't really know how it's going to end. You don't, you don't know the context of everything. You don't know the context of everything. Right. And there's a lot of context that just gets... You don't still get into like halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. And then it's just waiting to see, oh, that's how all this is going to fall into place. I was right about who it was. Still didn't expect who was actually murdered. That's the crazy part. The person you think was going to be murdered is not the one that gets murdered. Okay. I'm intrigued. I got to watch yes, this movie. It's, it's a great little movie. There's a lot, ton of celebrity cameos mm. throughout it for one reason or another including uh angela lansbury in one scene what yeah uh benoit blanc when he's still you know in the depths of pandemic and everyone's you know mm. locked down all that he's playing among us with like three or four different of his friends and one of them is played by angela <laughs> lansbury that's <laughs> like murder she wrote huh <laughs> okay kudos and i'm sure the other two people are big mystery actors also and i just didn't recognize them because i saw angela lansbury <laughs> and everything else went Whoop. like oh it's uh bed knobs and broomsticks uh <laughs> it's uh mrs potts okay oh yeah murder she wrote that's why she's here <laughs> one of those weird things like i i know it i know oh murder she wrote mm. that's what it is <laughs> 
but uh so apparently you had a good time with this oh movie. i had a great time with this movie i there there's a joke i want to make that i can't make because it spoils crap oh okay let's just say there's a certain thing in wandavision that's like if this is the person who did it i have a song to play <laughs> Oh, that's all I'm going to say. Even though by that point, I was fairly certain. No, that's not it. But, you know, whatever. Uh, I have some questions about the setup, but quite frankly, when you're in the middle of it, I just don't care. Yeah. But Glass Onion, that movie should have been in theaters. There's literally no reason why other than Netflix's greed for that not to have stayed in theaters more than a week more than thanksgiving weekend um so yeah that there was that what else did i watch oh yes so doctor who okay i admittedly have not watched all of the current doctors Mm -hmm. run through which i'm trying to think of her name right off the top of my head the actress uh, I'm he has two computers points. right in front of him. I am losing nerd points. Bonk, bonk. I can't think of one woman's name. Thirteenth hmm. Doctor, Doctor, and it is just show every bit but the one that thing I want to know. <laughs> Jody Whitaker. Jody Whitaker. Jody Whitaker. Uh, I haven't watched all of hers just because I think I really didn't need a break from Doctor Who. Fair. Uh, and her stuff, admittedly, the writing I don't think was jiving with me, but at, at first, but you know, I said like a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that I started going back through it because you know I knew the season finale had this big surprise because mm-hmm. it was going to be her regeneration episode because yep. you know the Doctor is a Time Lord time lords don't die they just regenerate into another form when they get you know fatally wounded Mm -hmm. and this was going to i knew i had heard this was going to be a regeneration yeah i did not know who she was going to regenerate into and so i was curious and mama had gotten it recorded Mm. she's farther along through it than i am for whatever reason yeah and so she wanted to go ahead and watch so we watched and it's a really good story Mm. uh there was a i they brought in like a lot of old companions from like the old show came back in so that was fun and i'm not going to spoil who the quote unquote new doctor is mm-hmm. but uh alone z i'm really interested in watching this seat that season uh-huh. when it airs on, on of all places disney plus <laughs> oh it's my like, god really yeah. BBC America lost to Disney on the showing rights for this because AMC Plus is not a streaming service anybody has. <laughs> so it's going and, and to yeah, Disney Plus of Maria. And yeah, all the seasons up to that point aren't going to be transitioning over. It's only going to be starting with the next season. So it's like, oh, so I need to be buying Blu-rays again. I admittedly have them up to a certain point, but there was a point in there where I stopped. But anyway, yeah, I have to go so, look at that collection. Question: where, where do you start? Do you start with okay the, the okay, when okay, they okay. restarted everything? Okay, so and, and with, with, with Doctor Who, you are probably safe starting either at the ninth Doctor, mm-hmm. the eleventh Doctor, 
or Joe or the 13th, which is Jody Whitaker. Yeah. Depending on how much time you want to invest in it. Of course, yeah. obviously next season, you probably are safe to start there, but considering who it is, yes. you might want to do some catch up. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. The, the internet spoils so much. Yes. And I, I saw and it. And I was like, and are I you being, kidding me? I'm being nice for those who don't know yet. Yes. But honestly, if you wanted to catch up to what they're currently doing, right. Really, as much without, without, you know, looking at, cause admittedly, you, I'm not going to ask you to go back and watch, Oh, all the way back to William Hartnell's run back in 1967. Right. Not that it can't hurt because I because during the 11th Doctor's run, they did a lot of callbacks to the old show, which I didn't catch because I hadn't seen the old show. Right. But uh, I was actually just starting with the Ninth Doctor, Chris Eccleston, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, I think that first episode is called Rose, mm-hmm. and it is actually labeled as season one. Yeah, it's because it one. did reboot there. It did, and it ran in seasons after that. Whereas before, it was running in series. Yeah. So yeah, start with season one, first episode of that, and just work your way through it. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, when I looked, it's fifteen seasons, mm-hmm. but they're British seasons, so mm-hmm. it's like eight or nine episodes a season, mm-hmm. and Christmas specials all the way through it. In fact, some of my favorite episodes are the Christmas specials. Oh yeah uh so the war doctor the 50th anniversary episode is great it is good it, it is, is good. very good that, I mean, at that point i was already i was watching who and uh be like that was like whoa okay that's really cool but i, I oh, think the, I, I, I dropped off like you know i think some point after that you, you have to admit even if uh you had not watched a lot of old who because i hadn't watched a lot of old who no the moment where all 13 doctors yeah are saving gallifrey yeah i'm like (laughs) i know how they shot this because there's no because i know what they just are taking old clips Uh uh-huh and resurfacing where they where they fit especially since you they'll never get eccleston back because he doesn't ever returns to a project yeah so we didn't even get him back for that uh all the all, all of his appearances in our stock footage yeah that they just reuse which is sad uh yeah, but it's almost satisfying that the war but, but doctor kind of yes. becomes him. <laughs> yes, because for a quick second, you can see the ears. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're becoming Eccleston. <laughs> we won't get to see the full transformation because Eccleston won't come back for two lines. That's only what I had to say. Actually, one word. He only had to say one word. Fantastic. <laughs> beside the point uh that's a good episode now uh there are some low points in there of course because you know not every show is going to be good and it does kind of start to drag near uh the last in, in the last season before jody whitaker and yeah. uh, I, I, I which would have been Stephen moffat's last uh, uh season that he was running the show mm-hmm. as a showrunner uh and i literally just think he had run out of ideas and was ready to move on there were some great moments in there don't get me wrong but it's like you could tell he was ready to move on to the next his next project which fair no idea what that is and they moved it to somebody else and he'd been running it for three or four years and from what i've seen which admittedly is a season and a finale (laughs) three years later (laughs) it's good i actually enjoy it i sure i get that's not your thing fine but i enjoy it uh so yeah if you do really want to go back through all go back to eccleston don't never skip nine yeah never skip nine it's a good season yes 
Donna Noble's my favorite companion. Moving on. <laughs> Other than that, uh, just some TV shows here and there. Watched uh, Emergency a lot. We went through a lot of those episodes. That Did I talk about, I think it was two weeks ago, where we actually saw one that had John Travolta in an early role? No, you didn't. Yeah. And it was painfully obvious that's who it was, mm. even though he was you know, too young to be popular yet in yeah. that scene. It's like we're I, we're seeing him like as, as one of the victims. And you're going, is that John Travolta? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is who that is. Because <laughs> even now he's overacting. <laughs> Tell me he doesn't overact. Oh, he overacts. Generally, he overacts. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's pretty much what I've been watching. Cool. Uh, so Jacob, what do we got in the news? The Cellcast News with your host Jacob Heron i I know of one thing in the news i'm curious if you'll actually touch on it okay so why thank you like going into the news uh so the box ops numbers are in for the studios have finally arrived and as everyone guessed, James Cameron's Avatar: Way of Water is number one with its. Uh, this was like early, like very early on, so uh, it was uh, ninety five point five million dollars mm-hmm. in the se- second fourth week. Uh, it is it has already breached a billion dollars already. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Cameron himself, if the movie doesn't break like three billion, it's a failure. <laughs> Well, it is James Cameron. That is James Cameron. He is a little over ambitious with his his water blue cats. <laughs> Smurfs, you mean? Smurf. Yeah, Smurf. Let's face it, they're Smurfs. They're Smurfs. They're Smurf. La, 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 attack the humans. <laughs> but they are invading our planet. <laughs> yeah, either or. So uh, actually coming in second place, you know, minus this, you know, this titan of a movie that isn't really doing anything mm-hmm. be- besides be like oh it's pretty kind of movie i've heard there's not much story to way of water but i don't know this for certain because i haven't watched it yet Me either that's just whatever everybody says be like oh it's pretty but there's really no story yeah but either way that's not my be like this is what i've heard i have watched the movie i don't plan to go watch the movie i watched the first one it was bland <laughs> it was good in the theater because it was pretty yeah exactly it was a pretty film but we're not here to talk about Avatar. No. Uh, Unless we're talking about The Last Airbender. No. Which, that's going to be interesting when that comes out. Eventually. We'll get to it. We'll get, we'll there, get we'll, there when we we'll get, get there. there. All right. So, need to put that on the list for TAS, too. So, instead of Smurfs, we're talking about a cat. We are? Yes. All right. So, meanwhile, everyone's favorite uh, Cavalier cat, Puss in Boots, continues oh, yes. to hold the second spot in the box office DreamWorks animated sequel, uh, the last wish has the fourth day box office of 19 million point six million dollars in its second week. Uh, that's not very good, uh, globally right now. Granted, it's like two weeks, like two weeks mm-hmm. in, and uh, right now it is taking the spot, it's uh 58.6 million dollars globally. Uh, that's not very good, but you know, it's at second place behind you know the juggernaut that is uh avatar too yeah uh so uh disney that that's yeah uh disney's strange world is hanging on at number 10 
with the four-day weekend totaling 655,000 and overall uh, combined of $65.8 million in its first five weeks. The Thanksgiving release, which is the sadly Disney's lowest-grossing anime feature of all time, is now available on Disney+. Plus. That really sad. It beats uh, Home on the Range. It did. I'm asking, did it beat Home on the Range? Is, is, is Home on the Range beating this thing? Yes, apparently. Okay, I have to go back and look at it, but apparently, according to experts, it's the lowest. No, it is that the lowest. This, oh my yeah. word! Yeah, this movie they, they did are, terrible because there are bad Disney movies. Yeah. That I would have sworn would be at the and I'm not talking about the stuff that you know are now cult classics, yes, but were not considered good at the time. I'm talking right. about stuff that people forgotten about, mm-hmm. like dinosaur. Mm-hmm. You're telling me this movie is doing worse than dinosaur? Apparently, <laughs> I think dinosaur made like 45 million, like 45, 50, 60, 70. And that was million. only because it was Disney trying 3D for the first time, yeah, try something different. I have, to, I have to look at the numbers. We'll, 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 we'll talk about all this at a later date. Yeah. But, but it's like, good night. That is pretty bad for Strange World. That is bad. for Especially for, as promising as, as the uh, trailers looked. Yeah, trailers, promotions, like everything. Great concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, old 40s era pulp sci-fi show m- movie, you know, where they go to another planet and find aliens. That could have been fun. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like it is. Yeah, so eventually we will review this film and see for ourselves how bad this movie was. Was it okay or not? Indeed. Uh, so going into, uh, I saw this. It's a promotion for another a new movie. Uh, so I'm guessing I'm not touching on what you're referring to, but we'll get there when we get there. Uh, we will. All right. Uh, uh, so there again, if you don't know, I get all my information from animationnews.com or .org so you can go check them out i might have got our animation animationnews.com or .org mm-hmm. uh so you can go check out my sources there uh small heroes are in for a big adventure in epic tales a new 3d animated family comedy embedded with mythological powers coming to theaters next year Distributed distributor Studio Cormel UK recently revealed the new English English language trailer for this picture, which will open in the UK. So it's synopsis of this film. Epic Tales tells the story of a super smart mouse named Petey mm-hmm. and her feline friend Sam as they embark upon an exciting adventure of possum potential through ancient Greece with a little help with a aging hero, Jason, the animals, the animals quest brings them face to face with some of the most bizarre, dangerous creatures of the Greek pathology as they race to halt the threat possible uh, posed to their city by Poseidon himself. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. The movie pre- uh, premiered at the cinema cinema um, festival in on 
Morpolia, I'm probably mispronouncing that, in October, and in due, in due to open in France on January 25th of 2023, Via Kids has acquired the U.S. rights from, from worldwide selling agency Kinologically? Uh, under Synologic? No, Kinological. Oh, I remember. Under the title Argonets. Okay. So apparently it's going to be called Argonets. So yeah, that's the I, I saw that. I haven't seen the trailer yet. It looks interesting. So we'll see. So what was the bit of information that I missed? Oh yeah. 25 years. Oh yeah. The, 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 a certain person has journeyed to be the best like no one ever was. Yeah. And, it and took he, 25 years <laughs> in universe five. Oh, in, I think, I think universe it's universe five. I think it's five. Mm. I know by, uh, so the show is the, the Pokemon anime mm-hmm. has been going now for 25 years. Agreed. Uh, in that Ash Ketchum has been our series protagonist mm-hmm. throughout this entire time. He has journeyed through the lands of Kanto, Johto, Hoenn. Hang on. <laughs> Unova, but I skipped one. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember Diamond and Pearls. Right. Uh, Unova, uh, Kalos, uh, and many other regions. I can't remember. Right. All. He's journeyed through all these regions and outside of a short stop in the orange islands right after his journeys in Kanto and Johto, he has not won a single Pokemon world tournament in 25 years in our world. Yes. <laughs> and I will grant you that's part of the issue that most people have with it. Well, because because the, the people our age are now in their, you just got into your forties, right? Pokemon air started airing in like 97. Yeah, no one watching the show now was probably has probably seen a lot of the early journeys. Right, I'll grant you. So it is kind of weird that Ash has still been going on for so many years, but uh, starting next year, because Ash did finally win the Pokemon World Coronation Series Master Eight Tournament, the long name, yes, uh, and is now the champion finally, uh. Apparently he is now going to be take he's not heading over to uh what is the name of this new area we're in now? So he's finally gonna become eleven. He's retiring. He is I told you it's been five years in universe. <laughs> he's fifteen. Oh, okay. I thought he was eternally ten. No, 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 no. I, I know he they aged him up at least to twelve visually, like going into X and Y. Right. And uh I suspect because of how Sun and Moon went, what little I watched, he's aged yeah. up a little bit more. Of course, Sun and Moon, he has, is the, has the weirdest art style, and he looks very odd in that version. But I'd agree. So, so you're saying, be like, they fi- he finally hit puberty. That is not what I'm saying, <laughs> you Digimon nuts. Because that's the only reason you're. You keep interrupting me. It's because like, oh, Digimon's better because they have had 30 different series by now and they keep changing. Uh, and none of their characters uh, have been able to stay long enough. I'm giving you a hard time like you do. Hey, 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 I think we can both agree. At least it's not Yu-Gi-Oh. True. Dallas. 
because we had never had a Pokemon battle on motorcycles or a Digimon battle on motorcycles. So that is true. Back to my point. Next <laughs> season, which we don't have a name for yet, right? We actually have two new protagonists. Okay, they're going to be on the show. In the Japanese, as I can see that on screen. As in the Jap, the Japanese names right now are Liko and Roy. Mm. Francisco, I didn't know you were playing Pokemon. We did not catch this when we were doing the other show on no. culture. We brought this up in Culture Box, but now that I see the male's name is Roy. Hi, Roy. Hi, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be doing some photoshopping. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> need to put Roy's face right there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That shouldn't be that hard. No, that won't be that hard. I already did it with replacing his, his face with Anya's, replacing Anya's face with his. Anyway, uh, Paul, you're welcome. But yeah, we it will be based on Scar Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which are the current games that just came right. out about a month ago. Uh, Paldea, that's the name of the region. Paldea. Yeah, Paldea, which is based on Spain. Oh, okay. Well, that, make, that makes sense. Technically, the Iberian continent, but from what I understand... Portugal kind of got left out in the cultural references. Mm. Not that I would know. I'm a stupid American. Uh, and I don't know what's what it's like in Spain. But the games are good. Uh, so yeah, uh, that is where the show is going next season. Mm. Interestingly enough, from these character shots, I don't see them wearing any of the school uniforms from the game. So I'm curious about that. Mm. But yeah, that's what's happening with Pokemon. Okay. Ash is retiring. To probably a cameo role. Maybe. But apparently there was like a six episode, kind of like a mini series that was kind of a nice callback to finish off Ash's journey. Yeah. Well, it's been 25 years. I mean, yeah. Okay. And, and apparently uh, the first Pokemon he ever caught, mm -hmm. uh, which was Caterpie, mm -hmm. later became a Butterfree. Okay. You know, he let him go like during the first season so he could go be with his girl, Butterfree, mm -hmm. the pink one. Yeah. They came back in the last episode. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Just putting that out there. Okay. Pokemon, at least, even when it goes too long with a, with a thing, does at least, you know, Bring do, good, do right. good callbacks. Oh, uh, okay. So Pokemon's been around for 25 years, right? Ish. So in world, it's like five years. In the show. In the show, it's five years. The games have a different continuity. Okay. Except they're not, and we've learned that that's not a continuity because Ash is somehow in the games. This is what I've been I've heard. I don't know for certain. Mm. But the games are at least, uh, they are probably at least 20 years of, of time has advanced between uh, the earliest point in, in them to now. Yeah. Okay, just for clarification. Yeah. Okay. 20, 25 years ish. Oh, okay. That's a long time to go just try to catch them all. That's a long time. And that's the thing. Red and blue, how many were there? I have no idea. How do you not know? I mean, everyone from our generation knew that there was 150. Did you, I didn't. You didn't watch the show. I forget. No, you I didn't. didn't. You didn't have that drilled into you with the pokey rap. No, I didn't. Actually, there was 151 because of Mew. But besides the point, <laughs> I've seen the move. Some of the movies, I know right. that. <laughs> I believe with this release, and I could be wrong on the numbers. We are near a thousand Pokemon, so it's a lot to catch. 
That is a lot of catch. And really, it's not. You don't release. <laughs> you just store them in a box for forever and ever That's and ever. That's just cruel. That's just cruel to an animal. They're not real animals, Jacob. I know that, especially in our world. <laughs> Your brother is calling you. I saw that. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Pokemon. Okay, got it. Twenty-five years getting the new protagonist finally. Okay. Well, I'm maybe just, we'll see Ash cameo at a, at a later point. I'm 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 very curious if if when this this, is, this new series pops up, mm-hmm. new series comes out, and they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, it's not doing well. We need to bring Ash back. <laughs> there is a chance we'll have the Goku effect. Yeah. We'll have to see. Yeah. If they just write the characters good, it won't matter. That is true. But either way, let's continue yeah yeah you that was all with the news Mm -hmm. that was all the news then let's go ahead and check out the spoiler free section of our review of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer certified fresh and spoiler free i don't think i have watched this from beginning to end before okay but i think i've caught different parts of it over the years enough that i t- you get you could easily stitch my memories together to form the movie okay if that makes sense yeah uh i for a for this era which i think was 1960s is mm-hmm. when this was made i think the stop motion is actually pretty good for for I what agree. it is i agree yeah uh the story is about it, it, it makes sense how the, it from ex- expanding from the song it does make sense how about how it goes. I think you're going to have some thoughts on that later on from mm-hmm. what you told me. Yes. But uh, I thought for the most part, it was a, a de- it, for what they had to add to the song. I thought it worked for the most part. Uh, mm. It might be about 15 minutes too long. Maybe. In my opinion. But other than that, I think it's a pretty decent Christmas classic. And you try at least watch it once. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Uh, Definitely good for kids. Yeah. Assuming they don't get bored. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I'd be like, like Drew, be like, I have seen periodically, you know, parts here and there. Uh, I think I finally was able to watch it as a whole a couple of years ago. And so for this, be like, you watch the film and you see all its flaws as a film, but, and you still recognize the film for what it is. You recognize it is an iconic classic. It is a touchstone when it comes to um, that has been emulated and just, you know, all over the, all over the place when it Mm -hmm. comes to, and heck, if this had not come, had not gone down well, be like one of my, my favorite, one of my favorite shows as a child may have never come to existence as in Thundercats. That's true. So uh, I, I do appreciate what this film did as a touchstone in animation, a a galvanizing force as a as a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do see all of its flaws as a show, as a, as a special, and we are going. To, I'm going to do some deep dives into what I don't like about this film. But at the same time, I'm going to give the movie the respect it needs as a classic. Okay. I think that's pretty much it for our spoiler-free review Mm -hmm. of this film. 
So join us on the other side of the bumpers and we will get to spoiling this. This podcast is a proud member of Culture Box. Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the Culture Box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. This week, we suggest the Retro Rewind podcast. Every other week, join the Retro Rewind pod as they travel back 15 years or more along the entertainment space-time continuum in their mission to review movies and games, establishing what is still worth your time today and what isn't. Expect fun banter and trivial insights from Francisco, Paul, the Master Interrupter Powers, and a rotating cast of guest hosts, all of which are out of time. Hi, Roy. The Cellcast would like to thank the following patrons. Josh Adams, Ashley Ruiz, Book of Gaming, Baldrypowers.com, name on the show, plus uncut episodes, early access to the Cellcast, plus reviews and special art from Jacob. Please donate to us on Patreon. I'm working on it. You want to know why I chose Retro Rewind this week? Why? Because they actually reviewed the same thing about two weeks ago. Really? I think it was about two weeks ago. I think, yeah, they did. That's right. And then apparently, if you've been keeping up with that, while I was visiting the pod, Mm. uh, they ran into a bit of trouble. Really? Yeah. My arm still hurts from when the owl attacked me. Okay. You have not been listening to the show. No, I have not. Uh, All of their episodes prior to like episode 30 are just gone because of a stupid wish that Francisco made. Oh, no. Because of a certain certain, uh, movie that we continually have been uh, messing with him about, about his opinions on certain uh, Arthurian tale. That he claims is not a movie, but a series of shorts with a thin plot line. Oh, <laughs> okay. And because of that, my arm got intact by an owl. So, who? Let's just say uh, there may be a dance magic dance involved. Oh my gosh! Okay, I gotta, I gotta listen to this. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Might be why I went ahead and brought them up because they're doing some interesting stuff. They're having to go through some interesting stuff over there. Okay. I don't know when I get back on there, to be honest, but I have a feeling I'm off the pod for a bit because of uh, injuries. Uh, Okay. We'll say. We'll say. Okay. But anywho. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the spoiler filled section all right of our review for uh rudolph the red-nosed reindeer the following is a spoiler free review of rudolph the ah this doesn't work very well (laughs) take two you know dasher and dancer and prancer and vixen comet and cupid and donner and blitzen But do you recall the movie we're reviewing tonight? The following is a spoiler-filled review for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
Listener discretion is advised. I don't have any more words to add to this rhyme. I'm making it up as I go along. May perhaps we should just get on with it. Bravo. Closest I'm going to get tonight. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was directed by Larry Romer, who also directed a, a, a special called The Ballad of Smokey the Bear. Because only you can protect the, can protect the forest from wildfires. <laughs> only you can stop forest fires. I don't even remember what he actually said. I went to where Smokey the Bear grew up this back in October, and I can't even remember what he said other than only you can stop forest fires or well, something to that effect. Only you can prevent forest fires. And now it's wildfires for some reason. It's wildfires. They changed it to wildfires. But okay. anyway. Okay. Gotcha. But yeah, that he, the actual Smokey the Bear was from uh, Lincoln National Forest in New Mexico right outside Alamogordo, oh, New okay. Mexico. Fun fact. Oh, okay. Nice. It was written by Romeo Muller, who also wrote the animated The Hobbit mm-hmm. film, yeah. which we need to put on the list at some point. Yep. It is based on the story by Robert May and the song by Johnny Marks. Mm-hmm. Getting into the cast, we've got Burl Ives as Sam the Snowman. Mm-hmm. He is a musician, mm-hmm. as we all know. But also, he played Big Daddy Pollock in the film Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I've heard of this film. I watched it in high school because we had to study the play. Ah, okay. Burl Ives is a good pick. This Because I think he can play an angry version of himself. Okay. Larry D. Mann played Yukon Cornelius and the Abominable Snow Monster. And in the movie The Sting, he played the train conductor. Okay. Billy May Richards was the voice of Rudolph, and he played Tender Heart Bear in the Care Bears movie. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Strap in, folks. It's going to get wacky from here. Of course. (laughs) Paul Souls played the part of Hermie, and he was Spider-Man in the 1960 Spider-Man cartoon. Really? Yes. Okay, cool. Stan Francis played Santa Claus and King Moonracer. You know, the Griffin. Yeah. From the Island of Misfit Toys. Yes. He was Geppetto in The New Adventures of Pinocchio. Not a Disney property. Oh, okay. It was another 1960 Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Alfie Scop played the role of Charlie in the Box, Fireball, and a couple of other reindeer. And he had a bit part in Fiddler on the Roof where he played a character named Avram. Hmm. Janice Orenstein played Clarice. And uh, she pl- this she didn't have many roles. She eventually stepped down out of act out, out of uh, hmm. movie acting. But she did play Susanna Brannigan in something called The Forest Rangers. Hmm. Paul Kligman was the voice of Donner. Clarice's father and Comet the coach. Hmm. And he played J. Jonah Jameson in the 1960 Spider Man cartoon. Oh, okay. Carl Bannis was the head elf, spotted elephant, and other toys. And he played Scorpion in the 1960 Spider Man cartoon. I'm hearing a theme here. I tend to try for themes. Mm-hmm. 
when they come up. Certain webhead. Corrine Conley played the doll and a bunch of other voices. Okay. And she played a character named Phyllis Anderson in the soap opera Days of Our Lives. Okay. And I mean, she was in that for a long time. Mm. She had a lot of episodes. Uh, last but not least, Peg Dixon, who was Mrs. Donner, Mrs. Claus, and other voices, was both Betty Brant and Aunt May in the 1960s Spider-Man cartoon. Which means, apparently in that show, Peter Parker had the hots for his aunt. Oh, in a weird sort of oh way. Gosh. I'm sorry. This is how my brain, weird brain works. Of course. Kingdom Hearts Connections. Yes. One. No. Zero. Exactly. <laughs> I, was I something. tried. I searched actors, which I didn't expect for actors. Yeah. Uh, possible because the original Alice and uh, Wendy. Mm-hmm. Are in Kingdom Hearts. Uh, I tried musicians. I tried pretty much any way you could look at it. No connections whatsoever. Mm. Wow. Outside of that one little thing earlier about Pinocchio. But different guy playing Geppetto. Yeah. And different Geppetto. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is the end of the cast list. What do we got in info and stuff? All right, so info and stuff is a score on IMDb of 8.1 out of 10. Mm-hmm. We watched it on DVD Thanks to a wonderful friend named Wendy Primo. Thank you very much for mm-hmm. the for the loan of the DVD. Thank you. Because for one, I didn't want to spend $9.99 to buy the movie on a digital format. Or go down to Walmart, which still had it after Christmas on Blu-ray for $20, along with a couple other films and special right. features. Or for that matter. Since we both missed this in 2020, we could have had the entire Rankin Bass collection of Christmas specials, but that's out of print, and you could buy the Blu-ray on eBay for $800. Jeez. So thank you, Wendy. Yeah, thank you very much, (laughs) Wendy. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, it saved our wallets a lot. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So beyond that, that you enormous thank you. Uh, Production was by... Videocraft International, LTD, later known as uh, Rankin Bass Productions. I always want to say Franken Bass. Nope. It's Rankin Bass. Although, technically, if we go by that episode of uh, Thundercats? Thundercats, it's actually Rankin Bass. Yeah, Rankin Bass. Which is probably closer. <laughs> yeah, Rankin Bass Productions, uh, distributed by NBC Universal Television Distribution, later known as NBC, NBC Universal Syndicate studios how on earth they did not hold on to the rights of this is beyond anybody's knowledge this be like rankin bass stuff has gone through so many Mm -hmm. subsidiaries and buyouts and just everything the only thing that's really had steady ownership is thundercats that is true because it it was rankin bass and then it was uh a warner Warner brothers Brothers. and warner brothers Brothers has just kept it because of course they would of course, I think the uh, the the television series original Thundercats is owned by I'd be like, I I think they they own some part of it, but either or that's not we're 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 not here to talk about Thundercats. Uh, we're, but they're we're, on the moving loose. That is true. That is true. Uh, so this special, this was a television special short that was released on December sixth, nineteen sixty four. 
Um, apparently, it did bank on its initial release, and it has been re-released over and over and over again since 1964 in syndication every Christmas, either through NBC, CBS. Um, uh, I think right now it's floating on. Uh, uh, I just had it just a minute ago. Uh, yeah, uh, freebie. I think. Yeah, freebie. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on uh, freebie, which I think is part of Disney. I think that has some connection with Disney. Freebie? No, uh, freeform. Freeform. Yeah, it's yes. on freeform now. Well, except I, I think I saw when I was doing trivia, it had it changed for this year, but we'll get oh, to that okay. later. Yeah, there again, this this this, this stuff is always changing. Always changing because every company wants it before they can do something with it. Because it's such a hot commodity. Well, I mean, it's guaranteed uh, viewership for that True. 45 minutes. True. All right. So going into home release, because there again, this was watched on television. It may have been released in theaters. I don't know this. I'm guaranteed. Somebody- no, this was not released in theaters. Or they showed it in theaters at some point. Maybe, but I mean, it was never originally shown. It was no. actually part of another show. Yeah. When it first aired. Yeah. The GE hour or something like that. Yeah, GE hour. You know, that's why Rudolph's nose is, you know, lights up because GE created it. Mm-hmm. All right. So home release. Uh when Rudolph R- R- Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, was first re- released on VHS and yes. It was originally part of a show called the General Electric Fantasy Hour. Oh, okay. I knew I had that written down. Sorry. Thank you. All right, so it was originally released on VHS and blue, and I want to say Blu-ray, but no, it was Laserdisc by Family Home Entertainment under the license from Broadway Video from 1989 to 1996 under the Christmas special, the Christmas Classics series label. All current videos print of Rudolph by Classic Media uh, are a collaboration of two previous. Apparently. These like each iteration of either DVD or Blu-ray mm-hmm. or whatever be like either they are um collaborations of the different specials of like yes what whatever it's, variety of quality they could get out of it, they just splice them together. Well, there is at least a copy you I know you could get it this year. I'm fairly certain I saw it last year of that that was just had Rudolph on the disc. Mm. So yeah, which I'm pretty sure would that's a pretty penny. No, yeah, I think I saw it at Walmart a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. No, be like what I'm referring to is like they they would take the different broadcasts. Yeah, you know, like each year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, we are watching an amalgamation of different edits. Yeah, different edits over the over the years. So yeah. this is, this what we watched is not the original cut. No, we're not because they added back in. I'll get to this here in a bit, but they added stuff in and out like over and over. Original in the original version, mm-hmm. the uh misfit toys didn't get picked up at the end, yeah. By Santa Claus, yeah, because I remember that like years ago watching that. It's like, and then watching this, I'm like, that wasn't in there, the, mm-hmm. the version I watched when I was younger. And of course, you know, going to TV, there'd be different cuts to make room for more or less commercials, mm-hmm. so that's what you do, that's just how it goes, exactly. All right, so 
Uh, let's see uh, all the footage uh, in the current versions uh, follow from the original 1964 broadcast uh, without the original GE commercials. Uh, Which upon... also featured the elves. Yes, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Up to the peppermint mine scene, followed by the final, the final act in the 1968 edit with the Isle of Misfit Toys finale in the 1965 alternate uh, credits in place of the original in credits. In 1998, these, the special was re-released on VHS by Sony Wonder under the license of Gold Pictures Family Entertainment. In 1999, the special was released for the first time on DVD by the two companies. In 2010, the special was released for the first time on Blu-ray by Vendina Entertainment. This edit, Vivendi? Huh? Vivendi? Vivendi. That sounds better. Vivendi. Uh, the... This edit has been made available in original color form by former rights holder Classic Media, uh, which in 2012 became part of DreamWorks Classic Division, DreamWorks Animation, and finally in 2018 as a part of Universal Pictures. On November 4th, 2014, they re-released the special for the 50th anniversary for on Blu-ray and DVD. The same 50th anniversary of Blu-ray was released with an exclusive book story, which was exclusive to Walmart through Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, re-released the special again on DVD and Blu-ray in 19 in 2018. So going into sequels, and there's a lot of sequels. <laughs> All right, so Breaking Bass did uh, numerous television numerous sequels. Made by the same studio, Rudolph's Shiny New Year in 1979, mm-hmm. which originally aired on ABC and is now available both on ABC and Freeform. Uh, Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, that makes no sense. In 1979, this is a full length special, uh, paired with Rudolph with sing a uh, song inspired by Frosty the Snowman. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in the Island of Misfits in 2001, a direct-to-video computer animated computer film released by the team that produced an unaltered Rudolph movie in 1998. Rather, Bass or any company that was involved with this production, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, 40 attraction in the in 2016, a 10-minute stop-motion story adaptation in the form of a 40 movie in Sim X Okra, produced by Bend Image Lab and directed by Chell White. Uh, the final one was T-E-A-M, as in team, Rudolph. And the reindeer game, reindeer games, uh, pre- uh, in night in 2018, a short adaptation of the book of the same name was featured in the original 2000 in the original 2018 Blu-ray release of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay, so that is all the sequels that this movie has had. That's a lot of sequels. Well, granted, it's not Land Before Time, but we're close. Yeah. I only other one of these I watched was Rudolph's Shiny New Year because that was one I had on a bootleg VHS. Ah, gotcha. 
So that is all I have for info and stuff. All right, let's jump into the summary then. Go for it. Donner, Santa's lead reindeer, and his wife have a new fawn named Rudolph. They are surprised to find out that he was born with a glowing red nose. Donner attempts to find cover to first cover Rudolph's nose with mud and then later uses a, a fake nose so Rudolph will fit in with the other reindeer. The following spring, Rudolph goes out for the reindeer games where the new fawns learn to fly and are scouted by Santa for future sleigh duty. Rudolph meets a doe named Clarice who tells him he is cute, making Rudolph fly. When he celebrates with the other bucks, Rudolph fakes, Rudolph's fake nose pops off, causing the other reindeer to mock him and Coach Comet to expel him. Rudolph meets and joins Hermie, a misfit elf who left Santa's workshop because he wants to be a dentist, and Yukon Cornelius, a prospector who has spent his life searching for silver and gold. After escaping the abominable snow monster, all three land on the island of misfit toys. It is a place where unloved and unwanted toys reside with their ruler, a winged lion named King Moonracer, who brings the toys to the island until he can find homes and children who will love them. The king allows them to stay one night on the island and asks them to tell Santa to find homes for them. Rudolph flees on his own, worried that his nose will endanger his friends. Time passes, and Rudolph, now a young stag, returns home to find his parents and Clarice have been searching for him. He then travels to the Abominable's cave, where they are being held captive. Rudolph attempts to rescue Clarice until the monster knocks him down after, with a slagmite. Hermie and Yukon eventually show up with a plan to help out Rudolph. Hermie lures the monster out of the cave by imitating the sound of a pig and pulls out the abominable seed after Yukon knocks him out. Yukon drives his toothless monster back over a cliff and falls with it. Rudolph, Hermie, Clarice, and the Donners return home when, where everybody apologizes to them. Yukon returns with the tamed abominable now trained to trim a Christmas tree, explaining that the monster's bouncing ability saved both of their lives. Christmas Eve comes, and while everyone is celebrating, Santa announces that a big snowstorm is approaching, forcing them to cancel Christmas. Blinded by Rudolph's bright nose, he changes his mind and asks Rudolph to lead the sleigh. Rudolph accepts, and their first stop is the Island of Misfit Toys, where Santa delivers the toys to children. Hmm. Getting into the trivia for this. Copies of both the Santa and Rudolph puppets were found in storage in, in, storage in the attic of a woman that used to work for Rankin Bass. The puppets were in rather poor condition. Santa was missing his eyebrows and half his mustache, and his legs were broken. Apparently, he must have had a wrong turn with the mob. <laughs> and Rudolph's iconic nose was missing and replaced with red wax. But amazingly, uh, survived being stored in a hot attic since the late 1960s. They have since been restored by screen novelties to their former glory and now travel the country to various trade shows and conventions. Hmm. In the original TV version of the show, Rudolph, Hermie the Elf, and Yukon Cornelius visit the island of misfit toys and promise to help them, but the misfits are never seen again, only mentioned as Santa's first stop before he flies off in his sleigh. After it was shown, the producers were inundated with letters from children complaining that nothing had been done to help the misfit toys. In response, Rankin-Bass produced a new short scene at the end of the show in which Santa and his reindeer, led by Rudolph, land on the island and pick up all the toys to find homes for them. This scene became a part of the standard version of the show running during the holidays. Although the animations were filmed in Japan, the entire soundtrack for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was recorded in a studio near Yonge Street in Toronto, Ontario. Most of the singing and speaking cast were Canadian. When Yukon Cornelius throws his pickaxe into the ground and takes it out and licks it, he is 
neither he's checking neither for gold nor silver. The original concept for the special stated that Yukon was, in fact, searching for the elusive peppermint mine, which he event does eventually find. The scene has since been restored, starting with the 1998 home video VHS release. The actor who voiced Comet is often mistaken for Don Adams. Now, do you know who Don Adams is? That name sounds familiar. He is most famous for playing the character of Maxwell Smart on the old 60s, uh, the old sitcom Get Smart. Okay, yeah. But we, as animation nerds, probably know him better as Inspector Gadget. Okay. Because he was also the voice of Inspector Gadget. Right. In reality, this is not... This is actually Paul Kligman doing a Don Adams impersonation. Oh, okay. As for comment. Yukon Cornelius says stalwart sled dogs include a Cocker Spaniel, Mm -hmm. a Poodle, a St. Bernard, a Collie, and a Dachshund. Interesting uh, sled team. Mm-hmm. In 1979, the We Are Santa's Elves number was cut entirely from the special for reasons unknown, but it was restored in the 1980s. Couldn't they just get it out? <laughs> yeah. Hermie is the only elf with pointed e- without pointed ears. He's also the only male elf with hair on top of his head, as well as eyes that dilate. Because he's special. He was the special puppet. When most, while most of the elves look identical, one very distinct elf that stands out amongst the rest is tall with glasses. Is a tall elf with glasses. Mm-hmm. He appears subsequently in ads for General Electric during TV broadcasts of the special. It wasn't until 2001, when in Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys, that his name was revealed to be Hank. Hmm. Although Sam the Snowman's face resembles singer-actor Burl Ives, who provided the voice for the character, he was actually designed to look like the writer of the special, Romeo Muller. Hmm. When the film was first released in 1964, the technology of using the articulated metal armature inside the figures was considered so amazing that TV Guide devoted four pages to the story. They failed to mention that this new technology had been pioneered 31 years before, most prominently inside the gorilla, King Kong. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Be like, yeah, did they do the King Kong? Yeah, they yeah. did. The reindeer, Rudolph, was actually created for Montgomery Ward's department mm-hmm. stores by employee Robert May in 1939 as part of an advertising campaign. Mm-hmm. At the ending, when the misfit toys are handed umbrellas by an elf so they could float down from Santa's sleigh, in a misunderstanding, the bird who only swims doesn't get one. This was likely meant to indicate the bird somehow gained the ability to fly after being picked up by Santa. I IMDB trivia is where I get a lot of this stuff, right. and I call shenanigans on that post and some well-meaning person feeling sorry for the bird that swims. Due to the Roman numeral error in the copyright notice, it reads 1164 instead of 1964. Mm. The original elements of this film are considered public domain. The songs and story of the film is based on are independently copyrighted. And that is why spelling spell check matters, folks. Mm-hmm. 
The film has been jokingly criticized in years after its release as a story about how people are jerks to you until they realize you're useful to them. But in the movie, most of the main characters do feel remorse for the way they treated Rudolph and go and try to find him before they discover his hidden usefulness to Santa. Kind of. We'll get more on that in a minute. Yeah, kind of. Sam the Snowman's songs and narration were originally intended for Yukon Cornelius. Larry D. Mann had even recorded all the songs as Yukon Cornelius prior to filming. However, Burl Ives was brought on as Sam the Snowman at the last minute to narrate the special and give it the full power that would help sell it to networks. The Larry D. Mann recordings of the songs and narration still exist. However, they are in the hands of a private collector. Oh. Which means we'll never see them. Probably. Or hear them, technically. Probably. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, which is another song by Johnny Marks, can be heard in the underscore where Donner is teaching Rudolph about being a reindeer. This happens before the abominable snowman first appears within the scene, where Rudolph first meets Fireball. Also, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, which is yet another song by Johnny Marks. Technically, the music, not the words. The words are written by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, mm. the poet. Uh, can be heard in the underscore in the very first scene after Sam the snowman introduces himself. Hmm. Janice Orenstein was only 15 years old when she provided the voice of Clarice. According to recording engineer Bill Giles, she managed to nail the song There's Always Tomorrow in just one take. Wow. And while multiple takes were recorded afterwards, the first take was the one used in the final film. After this special, Orenstein retired from acting and the rest of her career was spent performing opera. Huh. The original 1964 airing of the special did not feature the Rankin Bass Presents slide at the beginning due to it being part of the General Electric Fantasy Hour. Uh -huh. This slide was later added to acknowledge the growing success of the Rankin Bass Company. Last but not least, Dolly is the only misfit toy in the special with no stated reason for being considered a misfit. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that Arthur Rankin Jr. has since confirmed it was? Because he has confirmed what her misfit, why she was a misfit. Uh, miscolored dress? No. I'll give you a hint. In Toy Story 2, the character of, what is her name? Um, her, the one on the cover. I'm oh, trying to look uh, up the back, find her name. Um. I, I, I know, oh, uh, Jesse. Jesse. Jesse technically has the same issue. She was abandoned? She has psychological issues from being abandoned by her former owner. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that is the most dark thing I think you can say connected to this special. <laughs> Outside of the fish who swims not being given an umbrella. The fish who swims. The bird who swims. The bird who swims. Thank you. I mean, like, it's normal for a fish to swim. Yeah, but... but the bird who only swims. That's a different story. Yeah. So, Jacob, what is your first like for this film? My first like, uh, it is, uh, it is a, is, it is a animation treasure mm -hmm. when, when it comes to what it did when it comes to, um, 
stop motion, when it comes to animation, when it comes to just the the powerhouse of this film of the short, mm-hmm. when it comes to just the like overall presence, be like it's something that most people know. And you think Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, you think of either the song or you think of the movie. And uh it's got that, you know, that iconic presence as a film that be like everyone's gonna know and it is very well it is very it's treasured is a it's like i said like you know like my 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 opening salvo it is it's a treasured film or a treasured short that like i i enjoy what i enjoy i appreciate what this film did Mm -hmm. when it comes to the the field of animation the film of stop motion uh grant is it the best no but is it iconic? Yes. So yes, it is a classic treasure when it comes to what it did for the the industry as a whole. That's my number one. My first like for this, you know, when we every once in a while we do review movies that are historically important for animation, and I think this is one of those. Agreed. Granted. There are a couple others that were doing stop motion before this, mm-hmm. uh, especially at when in use in the live action films. But this was able to produce really good stop motion animation on a television show budget, mm-hmm. which is not going to be tremendously huge. Yeah. You have to remember where other stop motion things were being made at this point. Uh you had you had stuff like uh okay king kong versus godzilla okay they used suitmation for that entire production yes despite the fact they had originally intended to animate king kong in stop motion Mm -hmm. because that's how he was originally animated Mm -hmm. back in the thing they decided against it because it was too expensive i can imagine for a movie that is one of the original that that features the two biggest monsters in cinema fighting each other. Yeah. Which a part of me, I really wish they would have done with gone with stop motion instead of this really weird looking monkey. <laughs> the less said about King Kong's face in that film, the better. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I said, that was too expensive for a movie. Yes. And yet that was, I think, a couple just a couple years before this one mm-hmm. or around the same time yeah and they were granted the animation was done in japan mm-hmm. which means probably I, I don't know which production company in japan actually did the animation mm-hmm. but i assume that toho might have been close by or they had the same right. connections that toho did toho didn't want to do it for king kong versus godzilla but they were able to do it on probably a lot smaller budget yeah than King Kong versus Godzilla would have had. So, and the animation, while it's a little clunky, even for yeah. stop motion of this era, yeah. it's actually pretty decent for what it is. I mean, granted, we don't get to see stop motion a lot. Stop motion is a, t- a form of animation that has never really taken off except in niche companies. Exactly. After, uh, you know, a- a- when, especially once computer animation started taking over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is a very good 
example of what stop motion animation yeah. can be, what it can do. It tells a good 45 minute story. Granted, there's some story issues, but that's, I'm not going to blame that on the animators. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when, especially after reading that trivia, how it seems like they were mixing stuff up almost to the last minute to get all this done, including mm-hmm. filming a scene after the thing had already been made mm-hmm. uh, for later broadcasts. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just for what is, is this is a historical piece of film mm-hmm. that really, if you, even if you hate Christmas, if you, even if you are the Grinch mm-hmm. and, but you like animation and you want to see the, uh, well, you want to see what's important historically, you got to watch this film because yeah, it's got issues, but it's really well, well, well animated for its time. I agree. What's your second like? My second like, speaking of animation, uh, as most of like, as our listeners and those who watch our videos, uh, we have done quite a few uh, sh- um, stop motion, stop motion through Leica, yes. Leica animation, and like the the classics of uh, uh, Kobo, Kobo and Kubo two, and the Two, two Strings. strings. Coraline, uh, Coraline. Which is, I love Coraline. Yes, death. we've also done uh, <coughs> Corpse, Bride, Corpse Bride, which was not like it, it was a different company, mm-hmm. and then uh, of course Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. which is prior to being called me be forming into Leica. Yes, so be like if if you like watch if you watch the behind the scenes of which I love to do, uh, there's a lot of reverence and a lot of reference to this special that a lot of people grew up watching and is like, Oh my gosh, I want to do that for a living. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the animation style, even though like, it's kind of cluggy, like Drew said, like it is so iconic. It is so um, revered in the animation world that it is being spoofed. It is being uh, homaged it is being loved. Mm-hmm. and we'll it is, shoot the entire art direction for the north pole scenes and elf is based on this hmm. including the costumes for the elves that makes sense i haven't seen elf but give it a shot one day oh, okay if i get past will ferrell we're good elf is one of the two will ferrell movies i actually like oh okay gotcha though admittedly some of that is zoe de chanel <laughs> but beside the point oh okay Ah, but uh, just the animation in this movie, in this sh- short, I want to call it a show, but it's not a short. It's special. It's, it's special. It's a special. This I mean, like, is so well done for the budget it had, and it was a television special. Uh, they're gonna like you brought you brought up this the idea that they wouldn't do King Kong versus Godzilla in stop motion because it was too expensive. Yeah. And to see the amount of detail they did, now granted, you can definitely tell that it was cheap, but just the the way they were able to do this film on a on a, a shoestring budget is so remarkable mm-hmm. that, that you have to give it you know props for what for what it was. And a part of me really wants to see King Kong versus Godzilla in stop motion now because that would be freaking epic. Well, they were only going to use it for King Kong. Hmm. Really? Which brings me a lot of questions to my mind. Yeah. 
How are you going to have Suitmation Godzilla and Stop Motion King Kong interact in the same scene? That's going to be, be like, is he going to be like, you have to do fourth perspective on everything? You'd have to. So, yeah. Yep. That was your second like? Yeah, that's my second. My second like for this film is I really do like the design on Rudolph. Hmm. In my mind, when I originally was, when we were thinking, uh, getting ready to watch this, mm -hmm. I was thinking they'd have one puppet throughout the entire thing be Rudolph. Maybe they'd go in and, you know, show him be older at some point. Maybe they'd put antlers on him. I didn't know. Yeah. I've forgotten about this thing for years for the most part, because this is not, this film's not on my list of yeah. Christmas classics to watch on a regular Same. basis. Same. I actually like how we got essentially three different models of Rudolph, mm -hmm. okay. uh, baby uh, fawn, uh, young buck, and then, full buck i guess mm -hmm. um and they all look very well done they're very well sculpted uh even with the fake nose over the light bulb mm -hmm. <laughs> that even looks good now granted it looks like he's got a big nose but it's also supposed to look like a fake nose yeah the only real issue i have and this is probably going to sound a little like heresy okay the 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 red nose is too much looks too much like a light bulb it does it just it's a it's it's like couldn't you have found a better way to when he wasn't lit for it to just look like a nose like everybody else's just red mm -hmm. and then when you had to have it light up then you switch it out for the bulb i would have preferred that i think yeah but for the most part that's that's just a minor little quibble I really do like the way it was designed all the way through. They made both his uh, real nose and fake nose iterations look good. Mm -hmm. uh, and his animation in all three forms, even because it's three different models because he's three different heights. Yeah. It's not obvious at first when you're watching it, but yeah, it is definitely three different heights on this mm -hmm. character. And they all look good and they all look like who the character is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I like the design on Rudolph. That's my second okay. like. What's your third? My third like it's really what this what this special did. Mm -hmm. What he did for what would become Franken Franken Bass would be like you would get the Hobbit, you would get uh Frosty the Snowman. Like what this one short did. You're just happy it eventually leads to Thundercats. Oh yes. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, granted, all those other things you probably enjoy too, because Frosty the Snowman is actually very well, very good 2D animated short. Yeah, we it need, is. that we will probably need to review sometime. It is agreed. Uh, but Th this is what I'd be like Rankin Bass had done, or as what they were before, before they became Rank mm -hmm. Rankin Bass. I keep wanting to say Franken Bass, but Rankin Bass were be like they did commercials and they did this. Mm -hmm. And then that just catapulted them for years and years and years to do more and more shorts, more animations mm -hmm. that you would get into the Hobbit and you are not the Hobbit. You get into the fellowship of the ring. Yes. Get the the, uh, the return, return of the king, return of the king. And uh, I haven't seen those yet. I want to just, we're going to get around to them eventually, 
And then you get into, you know, they did, you know, cartoons, they did Thundercats, they did, um, uh, they did Silverhawks, they did all these amazing things, like going into like the, I like, it's just, it's amazing that one short, that one TV special can catapult mm-hmm. one studio into doing so many amazing things that impacts studio impacts the industry the the world of animation so well that all thanks to a a um a a red-nosed reindeer mm-hmm. that we got so many amazing things out of it and through Rankin Bass so i really appreciate the film for what it was able to allow rank and bass to do as a studio and yeah i i I am truly grateful because there again uh growing up i love thundercats and that inspired me artistically and so in a way i can thank rudolph the red-nosed reindeer in a roundabout way all right so that's my number three my third like for this is of all things the snow okay snow is a hard thing to pull off in stop motion like well like snow is hard to pull off in anything but 2d animation if Mm. we're being honest and of course that's actually what they did here for a lot of the flurry effects is it's literally just animated snow Mm -hmm. but i think it was handled very well but on top of that I don't know about you, but I had, when I watched this, I had a little bit of flashbacks to earlier this week. Okay. When uh, they were showing all the newspapers talking about the big snowstorm oh, coming in, especially right. or maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. I go, wow, we really picked the right week to do this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't agree. even know about this newspaper segment. And that's how they lead into, you know, Sam, the snowman talking about how, Oh, I remember I can't. I I remember how things always used to be, and how that one big snowstorm, and how we wouldn't have gotten off if we didn't help, didn't have Rudolph there. Oh, you don't know who I'm talking about, Rudolph. Now I'm going to sing the song where I ask you if you recall who Rudolph is, despite the fact you just told me you don't know who Rudolph is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I mean, this that lead in plus the actual snow effects plus the snow on the ground mm-hmm. in loss, especially like where uh, the, the tracks. And like the tracks on uh, Sam makes himself where mm-hmm. all of that I thought was, was that's a lot of stuff. Most they didn't have to do yeah, to make look right. It's a lot of little extra fluff that if they had just had him had Sam slide across and he not push little snowflakes aside to cause mm-hmm. a trail. No one would have batted an eye. Right. No one would bat an eye. If when the abominable snowman crashed across the set that he left snow prints, yeah, if he if they had made solid, no one would have cared, especially at this time. It would have been fine with the art style, but no, they, the, just that little extra care to make sure that there were snow trails for every character mm-hmm. throughout pretty much every scene. Yeah, I really appreciate it, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had that without newspapers telling you about a snowstorm coming in. Yeah, which is a nice lead into the movie. Yes, so yeah, snow believe it or not, is my third like for All this. All right. So now we have dislikes. Yeah. Go ahead, rip into it. Okay. With your first dislike. My first dislike. All I gotta say is poor Rudolph. <laughs> poor 
Rudolph. Be like he he's born with an abnormal abnormality. Like he's like in the, immediately he's ostracized by his father because he's not a traditional reindeer. Uh, and then be like there, there are so many like um, I want to say oxymorons throughout this entire film mm-hmm. over poor Rudolph because Rudolph be like he's forced to wear a a, a fake nose. He's because it'd be like he can't be seen because it it'll it'll bring shame to his family. It's like no daddy rich is embarrassed. Yeah. And uh, and so I, Santa and so I still don't understand why when the it yeah, the his fake nose pops off during the reindeer games. Why Comet says we can't have a freak like you on the stage. It's like it's just a nose. Yeah. It doesn't affect how he performs. Yeah. And standard weather. So what are you worried about? He was still the first guy who flew among this pack. Yeah, it's because he because it was because of a girl. But yeah, well, you get excited for a girl. Let's just oh yeah, I understand exactly why Rudolph flew at that point. (laughs) He was already on cloud nine. He just had to get his body up there. Yep, true. So be like it's it's like he he like the this girl gets his attention. What's her name? Clarice. Clarice. I think it was aging Clarice, but yeah. that's why I keep saying Clarice because yeah, I don't. Clarice. I think they. It was, I don't think they said it quite the way I'm saying it, but yeah. it was still Clarice. Yeah, it's Clarice. But and of course, so, I'm going Clarice. Yeah, father beans, father beans. Yes. <laughs> but it's just like it's like this. Boy, poor... we're putting a whole new spin. <laughs> yes. On, oh my god. Oh my gosh, no, let's not go there. Because that just to me it's a funny scene in my head. I don't want to draw it. But uh but be like poor Rudolph be like he, he, he a girl likes him. A girl likes him, and then instantly, because he does so well, his little fake nose pops off, and then everybody starts ostracizing the kid. Yes, because be like, oh, he's a freak. Oh, he's this, oh, he's this. Be like. I can understand in some way because I have Tourette's disorder. I bark like a dog. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't heard it on the podcast yet, but eventually you will. Uh, I so hope. I, yeah, I hope too. Cause it's always fun. Cause there again, I can make fun of my, my condition. I know there's a lot of people who have Tourette's can't, yes. you know, they, they bear in mind, they're literally ostracized. Bear in mind. Anytime I mess with Jacob about his Tourette's or even about anything, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it if I didn't have his permission. Right. And granted, I always am a little worried because I'm always looking at him in the video thinking, have I taken it a step too far? Because I know there has to be a step too far. Yeah, but... I've, I've, I've had I've had people to do that. And I just, I called him on. It's like, hey, that's not cool. Don't do that. Right. But uh, I, I'm grateful that you're just more like, it's cool because I know you're not going to, you know, push it way over that edge. No, I overthink things too much. because I've, I, I grant, I don't have the problems you got. But I've been ostracized myself, so yeah. I know what it's like to be made fun of. Yeah, exactly. We all have in some capacity. Be like, we're, we're like, if you're at least you like, didn't have people calling you Drew Carey. <laughs> true, true. But there can be like, if, if asking if you're, where Mimi is. <laughs> anyway, anyways, uh, so there again, be like, if you're kind of a nerd or something like that, you've been ostracized before, mm-hmm. and so you you can in a way kind of relate to Rudolph, but it just gets worse throughout this entire film. It's like he gets be like he he follows uh 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 I want to be a dentist kind of you know character. I want to be a dentist. I want to be. I a don't dentist. like painting toys. 
I'm special <laughs> character. Either or I'll, I'll 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 get I'll get his stupid little blonde hair in a moment. <laughs> but uh oh my gosh, but he really Griff decides to follow this knucklehead and uh gets into more trouble. And Rudolph Rudolph now has a complex that now because he thinks that my my nose is causing the abominable snowman to follow them, even though his nose lights up once. Yeah. And now he's got this complex that it's all my fault because everybody has been picking on me. And it's just like, ah, <laughs> like even the beginning where even like Santa was like, oh, it's perfectly fine. But then as a as a young teenager, his nose pops off. And then Santa's like, it's like, oh, we, we can't have that kind of thing in our our, our team. And like ostracizes his father and everything because his son has a red nose. <laughs> and then it's just more like he comes back and everybody's still picking on him because he has a red mm -hmm. nose. I'm like, okay, whatever. And be like, he finally comes back. He's the hero of the day. And it's still be like, he ain't the hero of the day yet because he hadn't done what the the only thing he's known for outside of the special, and that's lead the slate, the the exactly the reindeer through the through, through that horrible snowstorm. Exactly, and he, he just happened to get everyone back home. That's that's the only really defense I can have for these people is that they at least do feel remorse after yeah, the fact. They do, they do. And so at least there's that. Regard. Yeah, but it, then it goes into you know was was uh, like, even if you didn't have that snowstorm, I guarantee they wouldn't use Rudolph. But ever since Rudolph was the useful in this moment, in this moment that now be like, oh, we got this massive snowstorm. But like, it's like, oh, you can be useful to me in some capacity. Because there again, be like, I think you, you, you stated it once, people like picking at the film. It's like, it's just how terrible people can be to each other. Yeah. And it's true in this film all the stinking time it's like you know, like yeah mr i want to be a dentist like because he he wants to shuck off his own responsibility and be like oh i'm going to be a dentist whatever and uh rudolph being ostracized because he he's different because we're all different in some guys yes there has to be your form but it's just this idea that people can be cruel incredibly cruel mm -hmm. and like because people don't know what to do with the different yeah exactly and um, that I, I love it. But like you go into scripture and that Christ didn't come to the, the wealthy. He didn't come to the people who had prestige or the, no. the Pharisees or Sadducees. He went like, to the misfits. He went to the misfits. He, he went to the, the poor, the needy, the, the prostitutes, mm -hmm. the, um, the people no one wanted to give any amount of time exactly. to because it would make them ceremonially unclean. Exactly. Yo, went to leopards, lepers, not Le leopards. Yeah, yeah. Went, went to went to the unclean and shared the good news with them. Healed healed them from their uh, abnormalities. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the one thing that Christ be like. It's like that's what we're called to do. We are called to go to the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan mm -hmm. and those who are ostracized from the rest of the world. And I, I recently, or I'm doing a study in James, where it's more, um, it'd be like if you if you have faith without works, it's dead. Yeah. And so it's that idea of we we go out and we you know uh, uh, 
take care of those who are less fortunate than us and be like, are, are we sharing our faith? Are we doing stuff? Are we active in our faith? And uh, that kind of convicted me like the first time I, I did this study. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that kind of kind of convicted me in a way that do, do we go out and do we go and uh, is our faith being motivated by action? Mm-hmm. Is our what, what are we doing in our faith as Christians? Um, if you're a Christian listening to this, um, what are we doing? What are we doing to that? Is is our faith being poured out into actions towards others? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because God Himself, you know, like He was the one who went and you know, like He was, like like I said, He went towards misfits and yeah, that's, that's kind of like that's and yeah, it's a, it, it kind of makes you change your perspective on things mm-hmm. and like, what, what are you, what are you doing instead of, you know, tearing people down because they're different than you? What, what instead of be like, why don't you try helping that person? Because someone who's a little different than you might be the person you need in your life that could change yeah. something that's working like God's working in your lot, your heart. So think about that, man, the trains are active tonight. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. But my, my first dislike is like, they, I kind of rounded it into more of mm-hmm. what, you know, what Christ calls us to do is go and, you know, go now, help the misfits. Now, let me ask you this question. What's that? While it is something you dislike about the film. Yes. As, an element of the story does it work as an element for the story it does work in a way i o- i only ask because we both in the past we both have mentioned things mm-hmm. that we didn't like that the story actually needed so it's actually a good thing that we didn't like it because yeah obviously you're not supposed to like the fact that rudolph is mistreated as, yeah exactly or or for that matter a blondie boy or mm-hmm. any of the misfit toys yeah you're supposed to feel sorry for these guys of and, and you know, you're, you're rooting for everything to be set. Right. Yeah. The fact that all these people are jerks to them has to happen for the story to actually have any agency. Agreed. So is it something you don't like? Cause you hate that that had to happen or it wasn't done well, like a quality of the story issue. I would say be like quality story. No, I think it was just like, how how the characters were mistreated especially yes. rudolph and uh there again we're, we're we're putting in context was the 1960s and trying to put context there and not trying to shame those people for what they did in the 60s mm-hmm. because that's what they did in the 60s yeah but i just be like for it, it's you it, hate that they did it but it makes sense for the it, for the it, purpose it, it of the does story ma- it does make sense for the story okay agreed it that's make- that's mostly what i'm getting yeah at. exactly Okay. My first dislike is the abominable snowman coming back at the end. Oh gosh. Ow. That's all I hear is ow. First off, granted, it would really stink not for you, Con Cornelius, not to make it back. Because mm-hmm. he's a hero character. Yeah. And while he's not the greatest character, I think, in the story, mm-hmm. uh, he is someone. You know, he, he does sacrifice himself as far as we can tell. Yeah. The problem is not that they brought Yukon Cornelius back at mm-hmm. the end and, and came up with a silly reason for how mm-hmm. he survived. It's the fact that not only did he come back, 
but the abominable snow monster did too and now the abominable snow monster is friendly for no apparent reason actually even worse because he took his teeth out of his head and now he's friendly oh it's like ah how does he should be angrier now than he was before you pulled his teeth cornelius no it wasn't even cornelius it was um it it was blondie i can't think of his name blondie Uh, going blondie because the it was the dentist i'm like and that somehow somehow him losing all his teeth and then falling off a cliff Mm -hmm. made him tame enough to put a star on top of a tree that makes no sense <laughs> could you at least have the decency if you're going to do this to say we misunderstood him like we misunderstood everybody else in this short that makes sense about how this person could be helpful right how they are a part of our community mm-hmm. even though they don't they, they didn't seem to fit into the community before true but no he falls off a cliff Gets a concussion, I assume, and now he's friendly. No, he should be raspberry soup at the bottom of that cliff, is what he should be. And Yukon Cornelius somehow barely survived the fall because the abominable snowman uh, took the force of the fall for him. That's how it should be. Yeah. But that's too gruesome and dark for the children. <laughs> Minus the doll's backstory. They never specifically said that during the course of the film. True. That being said, the fish who, the bird who swims. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Anywho. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really like how they bring the abominable snow monster back for the end of this. I agree. After, after everything, before Rudolph goes and takes his flight. What's your second dislike? My second dislike is you mentioned a scene that had been the had been removed then was re added back into the story mm-hmm. and it's like why in the world was this song even added <laughs> what i'm talking about oh. the elves singing to be our santa's elves i'm like what the heck okay so let, let me ask you be our santa's elves well, okay. Let, I let hate me, the song. Yes, I agree. It's the worst song in it the whole thing. It is bad. It is terrible. So, what what is the what is the function of an elf? To make toys, right? In this context, yes, yes. So, in, bear in, in mind, these are not Tolkien elves. These are fairy elves. Yeah, fairy elves. There's a difference. I just want to yeah. be that, but that's how Santa's yeah, elves Christmas are always known. They are they're essentially based off of the fairy elf. Yeah. So, like, like. Like I completely agree with you. The song is horrendous. It's just like I I I, I understand why Santa's like I, I, I'm with like Santa. irritated. Why in the world yeah. is this guy singing? You're supposed to be building toys and getting ready for Christmas to arrive and get the toys ready to ship out of the kids. And you're the be like practice. The 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 elf head elf practice. says elf practice. Why are you practicing this? in front of Santa? Well, it would have. I, I assume that makes no sense. That, that whole thing doesn't make sense at all. I mean, you want to write a song for the elves to sing while they're working? Mm-hmm. That's fine. You don't need to split that into uh, into soprano, alto, tenor, bass. Yes, that and is not a choir song. That is something like someone starts singing it and everyone joins in because they know the melody. Yeah. And then you write the dumbest song that ever existed. One of them. 
we'll get more onto the other songs here in a minute. Mm. But uh, yeah, uh, I do understand how one tenor being missing could throw the entire tenor section off. Which it didn't sound bad at all. No, because there wasn't a missing tenor in the actual recording no, there of wasn't. the song. Which is irritating. It's like, and it's, it's like, bad. It's, mm, I have opinions. Yeah, yeah, same here. That that was probably be like it's it's like okay, we're going on the click. Um, hold on, let me find his name. Uh, I, I want to keep calling it Blondie. Uh, uh, it's Hermie. Hermie. Hermie's. Yeah, I think Hermie is complaining because he doesn't want to do his job. He wants to. He you wants know, to be a dentist. He wants to be a dentist because he's read a book, and so. Be like his his boss comes back in, be like, you missed elf Why practice. Why weren't you at elf practice? Hermie? And, because I may, was working on this doll's teeth. We it. don't make dolls that chew. That would be dangerous and would get us and sued. Would get, and would get us sued. <laughs> Come on, Hermie. We don't need bite me Elmo. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Anyways. Oh my gosh. This this was like the the be like I never seen this scene before and I'm very I was like realizing they removed it. I wonder why. Stupid scene. It's so stupid. Like even Santa thinks it's the dumbest thing ever. Be like, oh, I've got a lot of obligations. Bye. Yes. And Mrs. Claus I need, is being I need to go check on the reindeer. Here. Because we are going to be needing new people on the team very soon. I really don't care about the people making the toys. Mm-hmm. As long as you do your they job, are, they are not on my on my on my direct. My life does not depend on whether or not these elves can sing this one song. It does depend on whether the new deer, reindeer can learn how to fly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So yes, this entire scene was pointless. And I see why they were moved in the first place, but then all of a sudden they decided they bring bring it back. This back is supposed to be a practice, but why are you practicing in front of Santa? I think it would be like a dress rehearsal. Yeah, like a rehearsal. So like, if they would have called it the, that instead of a this practice, is not the actual performance. This is maybe there's a a a talent show, and these elves are representing Santa Claus, and Santa Claus couldn't care less. Maybe. Maybe that's why Santa had to be there because I, I don't know. I'm guessing here. Mm-hmm. The scene makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. Other than to show Hermes missing. Which I keep thinking good. Good. Because <laughs> he doesn't. And uh, We don't need an elf dentist. Yeah. You're sitting on top of a peppermint mine. Guess what? You're gonna, you know, the, the teeth aren't going to be in good shape no matter how many dentists you have mm-hmm. up there. Besides, they're magic elves. How bad can their teeth really be? That is true. Anyway, so, anyways, so yeah, that that entire scene where the the elves sing for some weird reason makes no sense, and I, I I kind of applaud whoever thought to bring that take it out originally, but then in mm-hmm. 1998 they brought it back in. Why? It makes no sense. But you got you got to put like you got to oh, get was, that runtime in. It was originally in there, so you got to put it back. It's probably taken out because the runtime was going too long. Yeah, probably. And they put it back in because, oh, we have to have the original. Yeah. So either or, be like, at least they're not like Disney and be like, be like, oh, we're going to remove this movie because it's got smoking. Technically, or it's, or it's, technically the only movie Disney has, has uh, removed and it made impossible to watch is the one with racial tensions in it. Yeah. 
technically the smoking ones yeah just put a warning says hey they're smoking in this don't watch yeah. kids yeah we don't want to promote um, smoking yeah don't don't even be like that like we we might be doing something about that movie eventually eventually anywho yeah so that that was my that was my second dislike that entire scene was stupid you're supposed to be making toys not choir practice you gotta do something in your off time that is true it's probably just beta shift gamma shift has got got to take over at some point and before you go to sleep you you know what after you work eight hours you got to do something to wind down at the end of the day that's true so that's why you would have maybe They're lower deckers yes <laughs> the elves are lower that's why, that's why i said beta shift yeah <laughs> that's when you when you said that i was like oh there we go they're lower deckers they're lower deckers <laughs> what, is, what is your second dislike every song but the classic christmas songs <laughs> rudolph is fine yeah. rudolph the red nose reindeer that song is fine silver and gold that's fine there was a third one in there i can't remember what it is they sang at the end that was uh, a, a more traditional christmas song mm -hmm. i can't think of what it is oh have a holly jolly christmas yeah those songs are fine yeah. every other song in, in this thing is well two things it's either a unmemorable for a good reason or b i can't understand what anyone's saying granted that song that the uh that clarice sings if that little girl was able to pull that song off in one take, great for her. Problem is, in the years since this has aired, the sound real sound the sound in this has deteriorated so much, I can't make out what you're saying. True. And that's just an age problem. I can kind of let that go for the mm -hmm. most part. But every song in this, besides Have a Holly Jolly Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and uh Silver and Gold almost not worth being in the thing yeah, granted, i think all three of the outside of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer i think the, the those three songs were written for this movie they were granted but there's a reason those two were were able to make it out of to become christmas song classics to be played mm -hmm. on the radio and why the others weren't yeah fair so yeah the of all of the bad christmas songs that didn't need to be in this honestly i don't think this needed to be a musical half the time yeah but it, it is, is what it is. is third dislike sir third dislike hermy more than hermy <laughs> oh my gosh was it the i don't know hermy plus the extremely convenient plot points <laughs> now great i understand this is a kids movie I totally get it. But we are both on the of the opinion that being a kid's movie is not an excuse for a poor decision. Exactly. It's like, why do all of the characters all of a sudden have to be in the exact same place at the exact same time? Be like, it, it's because it's, we it's, only had 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And we didn't have time to show how they met back up in the in the cave True. Of, of the snow monster. Yeah. Be like that's the only reason. What okay, especially what? after they went to so much trouble to explain why Clarice and Mrs. Donner. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> didn't leave with Donner. Oh my gosh. So I want to get into that real fast. It's like not even part of my likes or dislikes. Yes. It's just I see that scene. It's where Donner it's like, is this is man's work. This is okay. man's work. He leaves the they scene leave. three then, seconds later. They go too. They it's go like we too. knew they were gonna happen. And they're all, and they they go to all that trouble, yeah, to explain to show them sleeping at separate times, 
for them for there to be no intervening scene to see how they meet back up. Yeah. And like you, a year later, yeah, a year, almost like a year later, like Rudolph finally shows up and they've been gone that entire time. Mm-hmm. And Clarice like, has grown in this time. Yeah. Clarice has grown up by this point. And then it's more like, oh, they've been in the abominable snowman's cave the entire time. Or they showed up there or all of a sudden. They happened to be there at the end. It's like, okay, what did you eat? over this course of time. What did Rudolph eat for crying out? Because my understanding is these deer would have been eating grass. Yeah. And be like, which it was the real like, reindeer can do this because even in Siberia where, and Russia, where these reindeer, where the, the concept of the reindeer came from mm-hmm. for the Santa Claus myth, there was foliage they could eat. Yeah. There is no foliage throughout this entire film. There is not a tree. No, except for the Christmas trees in around Christmas Village, because of course you can't eat those. Hmm. Well, maybe eat the tinsel. Maybe eat the tinsel. Be like, well, tinsel will kill a reindeer. Let's say that <laughs> magic tinsel. A magic tinsel. Big, the the Christmas trees grow with the ornaments on them. Oh, those okay. are bio. That's biological tinsel. Oh, okay, okay. I don't we, know. Don't we go there. We're perfectly fine. But it's just like you're not supposed to be putting as much thought into this as we are. Yeah, but we do that anyway. <laughs> oh my! It's just like, uh, it's like the just plot contrivances all over the place. I'm like, okay, they all show up at the same time, and like, oh my gosh, the 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 poor bombadil snowman, like he's just trying to get a snack. He's trying to get a meal and be like, and then all of a sudden be like. Cornelius thinks to be like, oh, he really likes pigs. Where did we see a pig in this movie? There was no boars. <laughs> there were no boars. Not even on the island of misfit toys was there a piggy bank without a <laughs> hole. True. I'm just saying. True. So, and then it's to be like, it's like, oh, here's here's be like, and oh, here's another thing. Here's another thing. So Cornelius says that when they cross into the water that the abominable snowman can't he only sinks so why are they afraid <laughs> the abominable snowman made it to the island of misfit toys he can't get there he can't get there and here's another thing it's so, on an island it's not connected to everything else <laughs> so they're so scared that the abominable snowman is going to show up that, that rudolph, rudolph runs away <laughs> So that the abominable snowman, because apparently abominable is following his nose. Yeah, apparently, which doesn't work for the story. The abominable snowman is not Toucan Sam. Hmm. <laughs> and oh my gosh! And I'm it's, just saying what we're all thinking. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, like <laughs> the the story, like the 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 uh, how they wrap the story up in a nice bow and it's all nice and pretty minus the snowman should still be raging because you pulled his freaking teeth out his teeth should be his mouth should be aching because i guarantee because we know for a fact that while hermy was studying to be a dentist he didn't have access to novocaine that is true and don't get me started on hermy oh my gosh like I, I understand, be like it's be like I want to be a dentist. I don't want to do this. It's called your responsibility. Be like, be like we've all been part of teams, right? Mm-hmm. 
And we've all been forced to do stuff we don't want to do and wish we could do something else. Yeah, be like, learn this stuff in your own time, Hermie. But no, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm like, are you serious? You're going to go and endanger Rudolph as well because Rudolph's just, you know, he's actually getting tormented by people. You're just more like, just, you like, know. I don't want to be a toy maker. I want to fix people's teeth. Does anyone want a dentist up here? No. There is not a market for you, Hermie. Yeah. No it's, amount of you wanting to be a dentist is going to make people come to you. Exactly. Oh my guess God. who people don't like going to? The dentist. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just like, oh, my gosh. Hermie Herm here in a minute. Hermie. Oh, my gosh. This this idiotic character. Like, mm. like he be like he, he whines and complains because he wants to be a dentist. And he's only read a book. He has only read a book that be like tells him about dentistry. Yes. And so now he's fully convinced that he's a dentist. Now I could go into some serious political stuff with this or social commentary with this, but I'm not going to because that would make it one, not part of our show two, way too long and probably get people really mad at me. So I don't want that. <laughs> so going forward, it's more like Hermie, just please do your job because you're responsible for painting these toys. That is your job. That is your responsibility. You can't flake off your responsibility because you want to become a dentist. You can go become a dentist on the side, work on your responsibility because that's what we're supposed to do as people to mm -hmm. be responsible for ourselves and not simply shrug it up because I want to go do this and you can't tell me what to do because I quit kind of thing. I'm like, it's it's like the like this this person complaining that he's working eight hours at a job. I'm like, okay, you and you have a job. Yeah, you, you have be a happy job. About you have to get a job. You are getting a paycheck. Exactly. But either there, or, 2020 taught us be happy. You're still getting a paycheck. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Anyways, it's just like. Oh my gosh, this character drives me nuts. Can I jump in on this? Because this is also my third dislike. Go ahead. Here's my problem with Hermie. In the years since this came out, mm -hmm. Hollywood did this character better. Okay. Because here's the thing. Remember how I mentioned earlier that there was another Christmas movie that took a lot of inspiration for its design work from this? Okay. That being the movie Elf? Yes. Will Ferrell is Hermie. Really? Basically. And the the elf boss, that is basically his elf dad, which was uh, played by... Uh, what is his name? Bob Newhart. Yeah. Bob Newhart's the perfect person to play the live-action version of the elf head, head elf. Uh, but uh, the thing is, remember how I mentioned that Blondie as our Hermie? He's the only male elf with hair. Yeah. He's the only male elf, the only elf with rounded ears mm -hmm. and the only elf with, for lack of a better term, normal eyes. In fact, he's the only character in this with normal eyes. Yeah. Everyone else has just the, uh, the iris, mm -hmm. the pupil, the pupil, not the iris. Iris is the outside yeah. part. He actually has an iris while nobody else does, mm -hmm. except for Rudolph <laughs> and the other deer. Um, which tells me 
Hermie is not an elf. He can't be an elf. He doesn't look like an elf. He doesn't want to do elf things, mm. which means he's not an elf. Mm. Now, granted, Will Ferrell did not want to be a dentist. He wanted to go find his real dad. Yeah. So, fair enough. And in that one, he went down to New York to find his real dad. Mm-hmm. And Peter Tinklage. He was an angry elf. <laughs> mm. Oh my gosh. You need to watch that movie. Apparently. But uh, because even Sam the Snowman, in a sense, shows up in the film. But that movie, granted, 30, 40 years after the fact, mm-hmm. does the character of Hermie a lot more justice. Okay. Because, yeah, granted, Will Ferrell's character actually did want to be, till he realized, learned he wasn't an elf, was trying his best. Mm-hmm. He was a character who uh he, he was trying to he, he was really into the whole santa claus thing he was more of an elf than the elves were mm. in terms of you know temperament and stuff but that's the but you look back and you look at Hermie, and it's like like you said Hermie doesn't want to be an elf no he wants to be a dentist in a land that doesn't has never had dentists before makes which makes me wonder where did he get the stupid book mm-hmm Perhaps it was picked up when Santa, when he went, perhaps he had it in his hand when he crawled into Santa's sack, but when Santa wasn't paying attention and got carried up here, and for some reason that meant Santa couldn't take him back home. Apparently, he knew. I too don't much. know. I don't know. It it would be interesting. The if- character of Hermie is a weird character because he doesn't have the same. He he's dressed like the other elves. Agreed. But he, uh, other than that, he doesn't even look like an elf. Even Hank, as we learned his name was, the mm-hmm. tall elf. Mm-hmm. Looks like an elf. Yeah, they're all the same. They all have the same motif. But Hermes sticks out like a sore thumb. Maybe they were thinking misfits. I don't know. But he doesn't look like an elf. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he is an elf. And that entire possible plot line is not even touched on. Because the closest we get is, I want to be a dentist. And I'm going to go hide in the snowbank till Rudolph sits on my head. <laughs> Ah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this your snowbank? Why, well, yes, Peter Parker. It is my <laughs> snowbank. Go back to New York. Clip that, please. <laughs> this, the character of Hermie is not, it's got a good concept. And granted, if they could have had more time to deal with Hermie, perhaps. In his own special and not cram him into Rudolph's? You could actually have a decent story there. Agreed. You wonder how I know this? The movie Elf exists. Guess who ain't an elf? <laughs> Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. <laughs> He's not even carrying Santa's sleigh when Santa has takes off with them. His dad's there, True. technically, but True. then they never say any of the other reindeer's names. But True. And it does, they don't act like the reindeer can talk, but Hermie is not needed in this film, and he could have been given so much more room for us to actually care about this character right. in a separate special. Yeah. You could have him show up in here and make make a pre-cameo appearance, but mm-hmm. they didn't know they were making any more. Yeah. When they made this, they shoved him in here because we needed an act, we needed to fill 45 minutes. Yeah. 
we needed and they didn't do a good job of filling out his character because what do we know about hermy what is the only thing we know about hermy he wants to be a dentist that's not character development no it's not yukon cornelius had more character development than hermy granted he was supposed to be the original narrator Mm -hmm. but say lovey what is your rating for this film oh gosh it's so hard because like you find so many problems with the film but then you look at the the touchstones of what the film did Mm -hmm. to catapults claymation animation stop motion stop motion well it was stop motion not claymation but it's claymation but um there's not any claymation in this oh it's all stop motion well stop motion all right we'll just stay with that yeah stop motion I am going to give it a seven. I'm going to okay. give it a seven. Like it is an icon when it comes to animation, animated classics. It did wonders for the, for the stop motion industry. It's, catapulted a studio into what it became Mm -hmm. the story itself hardly makes any sense uh there it has so many plot inconveniences and uh herbie herbert hermy 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 makes no sense as a character the the ending of the story is so contrived it's not even funny um but i am going to give the movie a seven just because it is such an iconic movie and I don't want to, Oh, well, we'll get to eventually snow white and seven dwarfs. When we get there, we get there, but yeah, it's on the so list. It's on the list. I've been working on our season five list. All right. Got some stuff on there. All right. Well, how do you rank this? I'm also giving it a seven. It's a classic of stop motion. It's definitely for the historical, uh, at value alone it should be viewed at least once it is a great christmas classic for what it is for the for the whole family to get together it's not meant to be thought of as hard as we thought of it mm-hmm. to be honest grant these are still issues i have because it is literally paper thin in terms of theme because mm-hmm. about the only thing you can really say is about this is making fun of people who are different than you is bad mm-hmm I don't know of anyone who actively disagrees with this uh, consciously, mm-hmm. even if they act like they do <laughs> sometimes. But yeah, I, it's a classic, and a, it's a good class, a good thing to watch at Christmas. Even though Santa's skinny throughout most of it. Yeah, that makes no sense. I didn't get that. And plus, there's no way he put on that much food, that much fat mm-hmm. in the day of. But beside the point. That is our thoughts on uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Reindeer. And now we have another finale to do here at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Season three of Star Trek Lower Decks. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, 
to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. think i've ever mentioned this on here before but mm. do you realize how amazing it is that this silly little cartoon show that is only meant to be a streaming thing actually has a full orchestra yeah doing the music every week yeah i've not thought i i, I love it don't get me wrong it's just that is a thing you don't think about because no other show do i no other animated show do I, do I know of actually has a full orchestra doing its music true anyway let's jump into this yeah Trusted Sources, directed by Phil Mark Sagadraka and written by Ben M. Waller. In this episode, a visiting reporter on the Cerritos puts Captain Freeman on edge. No, you think? <laughs> Fred Tadasior, along with playing Shax, also played the character of Steve Leva. Carlos Alazaraki plays Admiral Les Buenamigo who finally shows his colors this week. Yeah. Which you saw a mile, a mile wide. <laughs> Didn't help that I kept talking about it. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, he's the guy. Of course. Yeah. Allison Becker played Victoria Nuse. Sean Clements played Benir. Kevin Dorf played Starbase 80 Officer One. Georgia King played Petra Aberdeen. Phil Lamar was the Cerritos docking bay officer. Hmm. Lauren Lapkus played Jennifer Schreyen. Jessica McKenna was Barnes. Carl Tart was Kayshawn. And of course, Paul F. Tompkins as the Cerritos security guard and Miglimo. Miglimo. That's the character's name. Trivia for this episode. This is the third episode in the Alito arc. Because in this episode, the USS Alito uh it sh shows up and it is named after the hometown of writer ben m waller's wife victoria this made the front page of her hometown newspaper really yes <laughs> and for those of you who are curious where the town of alito texas is it is west of mineral wells hmm. texas which means it's west of fort worth huh uh, this I the idea of Starfleet revisiting civilizations that were previously visited and checking up on them was first mentioned by Captain Freeman in the season one finale, No Small Parts, when the Cerritos, Cerritos visited Beta 3 and saw that the Batons had regressed back to worshiping Landrew. Freeman even suggested to Admiral Buenamigo that they could go back to Beta 3 after it was discovered that the Onarans are doing well and didn't need Federation assistance. This episode marks the first appearance of the Ornarans and the Breckians since the Next Generation episode Symbiosis. I went back and watched the episode Symbiosis because I was curious, because 
while the show does give a very, very short explanation of what happened in that episode mm -hmm. for the purposes of explaining what happened mm -hmm. for this show, they kind of skimped on why it was Picard, quote unquote, just left. Because mm. it was a little more than that. Okay. Basically, Picard and crew got involved because of a distress call. Okay. That was made by a ship that where the a, a uh, deal was going down between some Onarans and some Breckians. Fun fact, Matthew Buttrick, who played uh, Dr. David Marcus in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, played one of the one of the Breckians in this really? episode. Fun fact. Hmm. But uh basically a deal was going down to move this drug back and forth, but then Picard and crew didn't know that's what it was. They're trying to help these people get off the ship before you know it burned up in an atmosphere mm. and uh he's trying they're trying to get them to beam themselves off because they're having some interference because of stuff going on in the system mm. and they finally get a transporter lock on something and they go ahead and transport it over and it's their cargo not the six people on board the ship mm. so Riker says first starts trying to tell them to get on the transport he says oh no just forget it just beam over any life sign on board the ship just beam anything over that that's got a life sign beam it over here he they only get four mm. two of them did not get saved unfortunately mm. and so they get back on here and you know they they're all wanting to make sure the cargo is safe so they all go down there and it's very obvious that the onarans are really a lot more desperate about what's going on than the Brachians. The Brachians just want to make sure that they're, uh, that the cargo was safe. The Onarans really want to get into the cargo. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Brachians are, the Onarans are claiming that the, uh, the cargo was paid for. The fact that it blew up on the ship is inconsequential. The Brachians think there is no, you, you didn't trade for anything. So this cargo is still ours. Now, after a little bit of time, because I'm going to jump ahead here, obviously they realize, yeah, there was a plague on Onara. Brecca, uh, Brecca did have the, the cure for it. The thing is, the plant that had the cure is a narcotic mm. that is very addictive. And apparently the Breckians had had this plague first, and they learned it, but did not do anything to tell the Onarans that uh, the the medicine was actually a very addictive drug. Mm. And even worse, as they continued to refine the drug to get into smaller and smaller doses, it also made the drug more addictive. Mm. So basically Picard was stuck between, it had, had his own Kobayashi Maru scenario here because the prime directive technically was involved as neither culture was, had warp drive. Mm. If you remember, Federation can't really get involved in between two, any in a culture if it doesn't at least have warp drive. Technically, for political reasons, you shouldn't get involved at all if they're not Federation. Mm. But beside the point. So eventually, at some point, the Onarans decide, hey, it would be really horrible if we lost our entire market base. So we'll go ahead and give you the medicine now, and we'll work out a payment plan later, which meant Picard had no way of stopping him at that point mm. and went ahead and was going to transport everyone down to the planet was also going to transport down two uh, exhaust 
manifolds of some kind because that's what blew up that was what caused the first ship to have so much trouble and they mm. had only and the the entire plant only had two ships left and they were not working very well either mm. but picard said no you're not getting that because uh we can't really interfere with your society and when the breckians said you can't do that that would ruin our enti- the entire economy of both places you weren't worried about the prime directive when it worked in your favor okay so yeah picard beams everyone down sans exhaust port exhaust manifolds or whatever and leaves stating and 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 the thing is this entire episode very obviously the drug psa of course to the point where there is an entire point where wesley crusher kind lamb that he is (laughs) has asked the question I don't understand why anyone would allow themselves to be addicted to, to synthetic drugs like this. And Tasha Yar has to, since she grew up on a very horrid planet, explains all this to him and he doesn't understand it. She, of course, says, and I hope you never have to understand yeah. it. And then there's a whole thing at the end. It's like, we could have helped them. We could have made it simpler. It's, it's up to them to figure out. It, it's very, a very, it's what you would expect of a very humanist drug PSA. Yeah. Fun fact, that episode, you know, I mentioned Tasha Yar was in this episode. Mm-hmm. This episode was made and shown after the episode Skin of Evil where she died. Originally. So she shows up in one episode. One ep- well, she'll show up later on because of ac- with actually decent reasons as right. to why she's able, why she survived. But in that particular episode, it's not, it's not, it's technically takes place before the episode she died. Even by star date, it does. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it was the order it was shot in and the order it was shown in both were placed after Skin of Evil. So in her last scene in this, as Picard and Crusher are walking out of the cargo bay, you can see her in the background. And all of a sudden, right before, right as the doors, the automatic doors close, she starts waving frantically at the cameras like she's saying bye. Yeah. It's not just like a simple, you know, kind of a, you'll never notice it on a C, on an old CRT from the 1980s going, bye. You know, it's like, it's like, hey, you dropped your corner. <laughs> kind of a thing. I got you. Just it's like, hey, th- look at me. I'm gone. Just throwing all that in there. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's basically what happened in the setting that they are doing their flyby over. I gotcha. Also, this episode is the first appearance of the Breen since the Deep Space Nine finale, What You Leave Behind. Hmm. Those were the people who had infested Bracca that had the helmets that looked like they were stolen off out yeah. of Jabba the Hutt's palace yeah. in Return of the Jedi. Right. Which is what I thought when they showed up in Deep Space Nine. Right. Uh, Buen Amigo suggesting that the Onaran government may be secretly run by kids or, or somebody pretending to be the devil are references to the original series episodes Miri and Devil's and Next Generation episode Devil's Do. Hmm. During Mariner's confusion by the crew's reaction to something she didn't do, she asks whether she is in a frame of mind situation, referencing Next Generation episode Frame of Mind, where William T. Riker was psychically tortured during an undercover mission on Talonis 4, which in turn was the same name of Dr. Beverly's Crusher's play, Riker found himself. Victoria Nuse mentioned several past events from the series. Mm. Ransom turning into a giant head and trying to eat the ship from strange energies. 
Freeman had an emotional breakdown after taking the engineering team on a spa trip on in room to growth, room for growth. Freeman transporting a Dupler into a party from an embarrassment of Duplers. Freeman giving a Pandaronian drill instructor a poly heart attack in I excretus. Kayshawn being turned into a puppet in Kayshawn, his eyes open. Spear-wielding aliens took over the Cerritos in Temporal Edict. Court got kidnapped in Here All Trust Nothing. The incidents with Peanut Hamper, the Exocomp in No Small Parts, and a mathematically perfect redemption. And of course, the encounters with Q in the episode Veritas. Steve Levi continues to believe in conspiracy theories. When Mariner is sent away, he assumes that it is some sort of temporal Cold War operation. The temporal Cold War was a running storyline throughout all of Enterprise to explain why history was changing in the show. Hmm. Okay. Shax claims that the Breen do not take prisoners, which is not true. Many episodes from the Breen show the Breen's taking prisoners and slaves in battle during Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Huh. Okay. The personnel of Starbase 80 are shown wearing 2360s era, aka Next Generation era, style com badges. Hmm. There is a Pyrithian bat on Starbase 80. Flocks on Enterprise used to own a Pyrithian bat as a pet. Hmm. And Petra Aberdeen, who first appeared in Reflections, returns and suggests searching for a Vel for Veldanan monies, a species originally featured in the animated series episode The Jihad. Hmm. And that is what I've got for this episode. What are your thoughts, my friend? Oh, okay. So when they get the call, it's like, oh, because, you know, the, the bad admiral shows up. <laughs> were you were you surprised at all that he was the one behind? No, I wasn't uh, at all. The, uh, the implant. No, I wasn't. I wasn't either. Actually, I was actually a little bit surprised when I was first watching it. Yeah, because I did not recognize Buena Amiga. I didn't while they mentioned Buena Amigo throughout the entire show mm -hmm. or entire season three, it didn't connect. The character didn't make yeah. an impact on me until this episode. Okay. That makes sense. So be like, they, they get the, the message from Buen, Buen Omega. Is it yeah. Right? Buena Amigo. Buena 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 It's a, it's a bad name. <laughs> yeah. Buena Amigo. Buena Amigo. Buena Amigo. Uh, like Bueno Amigo. Yeah. Bueno Amigo. Uh, so they get that call and it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna get the the uh the reporter. And I'm yes. the like I'm, I'm thinking the exact same thing that uh Captain Freeman is like, oh crap, oh, no, no, no. We need to have Mariner not be involved. Yeah. Ironically, Mariner's the only one on her side in this entire episode. <laughs> you did not see that coming, did you? No, I I mean like a part a part of me. Because like, you've been saying all since we started back into this that Mariner was going to get kicked out of Starfleet. Uh-huh. Guess what? She didn't technically get kicked out. She got sent to Starbase 80 mm -hmm. where she quit. Yeah. There was a, there was a part of me because they're going to be like watching the entire episode. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. What is Mariner going to do? What is Mariner going to do? Because I was the same way when I first watched this uh, about a month ago now. Mm-hmm. Like just watching it, it's like, oh crap, what is she gonna do? Because like one, she's told, you do not do this, you do not do this, you do not have this. And that's what Mariner does. Be like she breaks every freaking rule mm -hmm. because she's got plot armor. But uh 
So we, we get to the point it's where called, she it's called uh nepotism. Nepotism. Yes. Mm. It's called you got friends and you got family in high places and they're making sure you're not you're getting shielded a little bit. Exactly. But it's like she she finally goes and talks with her and uh and then of course be like um uh Captain hold on, what's her name? Freeman? Freeman. Captain Freeman calls her in the office and be like, Yeah, huh? Exactly. Uh-huh. Be like, yep, you did something. Be like, you screwed the pooch, girl. Yes, and doesn't give her a chance to defend herself. In a way, because but be like leading up to it, be like, you you know Mariner's gonna do something, and you know Mariner doesn't know when to shut up. Yes. <laughs> and I'll admit, I thought she I was actually thinking, yeah, you stepped too far on this Mariner. Uh-huh. Until we actually saw the news report. Yeah, I, I'd be like, I'd, I, I still have issues with that report. I still have issues with it, but it's like, okay, she finally gets kicked off. I'm like, yes, finally. You don't know how much I've been biting my tongue all oh, for the past. Oh, yeah, I, 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 knew, I knew, I knew, I knew exactly. It's like, uh huh, this is the episode she gets kicked off. Yes, praise the Lord. Amen. And she finally gets kicked off. And it's more, it's like, oh, okay. She starts trying to backpedal. It's like, no, no, no. Be like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, yeah, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you did something wrong. You're just trying not to, uh, you're she, you're trying not to fess up to it. She did nothing wrong in this episode, though. Eh. <laughs> I, I, you, I know you're just happy to see her finally get her come up. And exactly. She really should have, this really should have happened to her a long time ago. Uh-huh. But the thing is. She actually was the only one who was being kind to her mother and knew what her mother was going through. And in love, show talk. She talked about the best parts of serving on a California class vessel, especially the Cerritos. Mm. Everyone else talked about everything you sh don't talk about to a reporter. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I didn't understand because like, through the entire season three, it like Mariner is just talking smack about everything. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that she's the one who says all this crap. But Mariner has always shown that when the stakes are down, mm -hmm. she is in it for the family of the Cerritos. I agree with you on that. Throughout the entire thing. Yes, she gives people a hard time, but she is Starfleet in such a way that almost nobody else on that ship is. Yes, she's a problem child. Yeah, she's, she's got, she's very, she wants, she's actually very, uh, Everyone else is just kind of going along with the flow while she has actually from episode one mm. is actively trying to be what she sees as this, the spiritual, what she thinks, says, thinks Starfleet is. Yeah. She is trying to live up to that ideal. Mm. Granted, there are parts throughout the episode where she's just be, throughout the show. She's just being, you know, a pain in the butt for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Because she is very sarcastic with the upper, with, with the upper uh, officers. Mm-hmm. She very much loves the idea of being a lower decks, but here's the but the thing is, her friends as they are, she she gives Boimler a hard time, but it's oh, hard yeah. not to give Boimler a hard time. She's very supportive of Tendi yeah. and of Rutherford yeah. when they talk about every all this stuff. She even is all up for uh, showing showing the uh, uh, the reporter the warp core. Yeah, Mariner hates the warp core. She says it's the, from the first episode. She says it's the most boring place on the ship. True. I think she secretly likes the warp core. Probably. Because she likes Starfleet. And she, and she really would be a great captain 
I think of a California class vessel because she's very much the embodiment of Kirk just without the restraint. True. But I get what you're saying. Yes, it's she finally it, it she was a finally boy, it was a boy it. who cried wolf situation. Uh-huh. Every time she has been a pain in the butt, it makes sense that at a time mm-hmm. when everyone is most worried about putting their best foot forward and Mariner goes against what her mom or her mom, mother and captain says and gets involved with and, and, and privately goes and talks to the reporter. It makes perfect sense why everyone thinks she sold them under the bus because mm-hmm. I thought she did. Exactly. I thought maybe I, cause I can almost follow the logic. Mm-hmm. Of course, everyone else would be talking up the ship and she's going to say, you know, let me tell you what really happened. Yeah. Okay. Sean got turned into a puppet. Uh, we have, we've had dealings with Q. That's just real life out here. We had the stuff with the pack leads. We had this whole thing where you won't believe this. My mother sent, got all the engineers to go on a spa trip. Hey, who, what engineer wants to go on a spa trip? They just want to work on engineering stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who had the breakdown. Cause like, of course mother had the breakdown. Mm-hmm. That's what everyone thinks she said. Yeah. And that's not what happened. Yeah. It's, which goes was, to which show was, you was more of a shock to that. And I was like, right. Because like I said, boy who cried wolf situation mm-hmm. because th- this is really, I still blame this all on her mm-hmm. because if she had not been such a pain in the butt in mm-hmm. her, even with being idealistic, that's one thing. Yeah. The stuff she does because of her ideals. That's one thing. And she's just she, a lot, you know, as well as I do, she's a jerk half the time. Oh yeah. She's very narcissistic. Very. Yeah. So it makes sense that yeah, that is back that backfire that history of that has backfired on her. The one time, mm-hmm. the one time, she actually is is you know being supportive of the yeah. whole thing. And the best part about that is because of what her mother did by transferring her off the ship, it actually hurt her mother more. Mm. Because the one person willing to speak, according to the reporter, the one person willing to speak positively about life on the Cerritos. Mm. And just for talking to the reporter, she gets kicked off the ship. Yeah. Because Freeman, she, because, because she wasn't supposed to, she wasn't supposed to, but Freeman did this to herself by not listening to her daughter. Mm. Granted daughter didn't give her much reason to No, She didn't. didn't change anything. She should have at least found out. What did you say to her? Yeah. Just saying that's my thought. I, mm. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Like she's finally getting her just desserts fact of the matter is this time this one time despite the fact no one will have any proof till the till the report comes out mm-hmm. no one can know this and nobody has her back not even her girlfriend jennifer mm-hmm. that's why when she gets off star when she goes to starbase 80 see she doesn't quit just because she got transferred to starbase 80 mm. i would have yeah okay. from everything this show has talked about that would have been like you're kicking me off this ship to send me to a starbase? Shoot, I ain't going to no starbase. I don't care how good that starbase is. You're kicking me off the ship. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm calling. I'm calling my best girl Petra. Yeah, to pick me up, and we're gonna go have Indiana Jones style fun. Yeah, agree. Stealing Klingon idols from Ferengi. Makes sense. I may have just went to the, the next episode, episode but yes. yes, I I see what you're saying, but it's like the whole part where it's like she was doing her best mm-hmm. and she actually did the right thing for a change and she didn't get credit for it. I've been there. Mm. Totally. And, that, and this is the beast. And then this is technically the A story because the B story 
involves how the ship gets saved from the Breen, from the Breen, mm-hmm. and that is the USS Alito. Yeah, the Texas class. Uh huh. And I want to be happy that a Texas that the Texas class saved California class as a native Texan. But I know where this story goes. goes. Yep. We'll get to that in a minute. Are you ready to move on, though? Yeah, let's let's move let's on. Let's go ahead to and move into the stars at night, because as native Texans, we both know the stars at night are big and bright, bright. deep in the heart of Texas. This episode was directed by Jason Zurich and written by series creator Mike McCann. The Cerritos crew must prove their worth in a mission race because this is the last episode that we will get to talk about this show in a while, much like we did with the previous one. I'm going through the whole cast list. Okay. Tawny Newsom plays Beckett Mariner. Jack Quaid plays Brad Boimler. Noelle Wells plays Devana Tindy. Eugene Cordero plays Sam Rutherford. Don Lewis plays Carol Freeman. Jerry O'Connell plays Jack Ransom. Fred Tadasior plays Shax. And Jillian Vigman plays Ta'ana. Guest cast includes... Carlos Alazaraqui as Admiral Les Buenamigo and the Alito computer. That makes sense. Georgia King as Petra Aberdeen. Phil Lamar in an unlisted role. I suspect he was a crew member somewhere on the ship. Probably. Jessica McKenna as Barnes. Tox Ola Guendoye as Amina Ramsey. Sam Richardson as Vendome. Al Rodrigo as Durango, Gabriel Ruiz as Talin, Paul Shear as Andy Billups, Carl Tart as Kayshawn, Paul F. Tompkins as Miglimo, Baron Vaughn as Mayer, and Michelle Wong as Wong. Okay, then. The title of this episode is from the opening lyrics to the American folk song, Deep in the Heart of Texas. Mm-hmm. Continuity. Four admirals appearing on the Starfleet Council have been previously encountered in the series. Admiral Wong first appeared in Temporal Edict. Admiral Parker appeared in We'll Always Have Tom Paris and Reflections. And the Trill and one of the human admirals previously appeared in Trial Sketches in the episode Grounded. Billups tells his engineering team that he wants to see commander data level work and that the isolinear chips better be a blur. Referencing the Next Generation episode, The Naked Now, where Data replaced a ton of isolinear chips so fast that it would look like a blur. Mm. Ta'ana references being previously assigned to an Oberth-class starship, making the reference to that class for the first time by name in Mm. dialogue. Ransom teaches a group of officers how to command respect, which involves sitting on a chair by swinging his leg around the back of the seat before sitting down. This is a reference to the unusual way that William T. Riker would sit down in the chair, which Trekkies have commonly referred to as the Riker Maneuver. The computer terminal Admiral Buenamigo used to communicate with the Alito was visually similar to the one used for the M5 Multitronic unit from the Star Trek original series episode, The Ultimate Computer, which also dealt with a computer designed to command and control starship that it resulted in it attacking other ships. A similarly styled interface was also depicted in the illusory Sampaguita, the other Rutherford's spaceship. Yeah. uh, Piloted by Red Rutherford in Reflections, foreshadowing Rutherford's involvement in the artificial intelligence behind the Texas class. Mm -hmm. 
The Cerritos revisits the Galadornians who first appeared in the first episode of Lower Decks, Second Contact. Freeman refers to Ockmenic 9 as one of those Brigadoon-type planets that only phases into our dimension for a couple of hours a year. Mm. The name is a reference to the 1947 musical Brigadoon, which was about a magical Scottish village that only appeared for one day every 100 years. A planet shifting from one dimension to another is also a reference to the Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode Meridian, where the titular planet would appear in regular space once every six years and was also based on Brigadoon. The episode concludes the story arc concerning the origins of Rutherford's implant, which was most recently explored in Reflections. This is also the fourth and, so far as we know, the final episode of the Alito arc hmm. of this show. Hmm. When the truth about Buen Amigo is revealed, Freeman insisted that he's not one of those bad faith admirals that's up to no good. This is a reference to a recurring trope throughout the Star Trek franchise where Starfleet admirals tend to be shown as antagonistic toward the main characters and take part in secret and in illegal projects, including Admiral Cartwright, Admiral Mark Jameson, Admiral Nora Satie, Admiral Kennelly, Admiral Eric Pressman, Admiral Layton, and Admiral Dougherty. Hmm. Dougherty was the one from Insurrections who uh, they had to use the Briar Patch the way Br'er Rabbit did against. Oh, that's right. That's right. Another reference to uh, Song of the South this episode. <laughs> the mysterious benefactor behind Petra Aberdeen's mission to retrieve and return stolen artifacts is revealed to be Admiral Jean-Luc Picard, whose archaeological interests were established across many episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. This episode also established that Picard was an admirable in 2381, which the press kit for Star Trek Picard season one and the novel, The Last Best Hope, earlier established that Picard left the USS Enterprise-E and was promoted to admiral in 2381 in order to lead in the evacuation and relocation of the Romulans prior to their son going supernova, mm -hmm. as we see the aftermath of in Star Trek 2009. Mm-hmm. The procedure for the Cerritos to eject its warp core was referenced back in An Embarrassment of Duplers, when Rutherford and Tindy ejected a working warp core from a kit model of the Cerritos they built and used it as a makeshift explosive to open a hatch above them and escape the Duplers. So they put way too much thought into it. They did. Agreed. In so, that episode. So curious because I know I know they've ejected the warp core before in the in star trek in previous ones it did not require two people physically inserting keys to eject it mm -hmm. voyager in the one or two times they had to eject their core Bolana torres the chief engineer who was also not starfleet technically as she was one of the maquis members that had to be integrated into the crew pretty much didn't require anyone's help to do so at mm. least it's never shown on screen Insurrection did not require it when LaForge ejected the core to use the Briar Patch the way Br'er Rabbit did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's not common for that to be seen, but I can't, but other instances of where the warp core was integral to whatever they were doing, such as the self-destruct mechanism, mm -hmm. did require one or more officers of senior level to be able to do. Yeah. So I am guessing that perhaps in the other shows, whoever was in chief security had maybe already given their approval on their console. Mm -hmm. So the engineer could then make that decision, but that's never actually shown. And it admit, admittedly in this one, 
this could just be a weird feature of the Cerritos at a time after the Dominion War when they didn't want one person to be able to hit a button and eject a warp core if it was a uh, someone getting into the ship that wasn't supposed to be there, like, right. say, a member of the Dominion. That's my yeah. thought process. Okay, got it. There's not much that took place in-universe mm -hmm. in the Alpha and Beta Quadrants after the Dominion War, so exactly what security procedures would mm -hmm. be involved, which I can see this as being one yeah. we're ever gone into. Okay. The crew of the California-class ships who appeared on the view screen when the Armada arrived have all appeared in previous episodes. Captain Ar Amina Ramsey of the USS Oakland and several of her senior officers served as temporary command crew for the Cerritos in Much Ado About Boimler. Captain Durango and the USS Merced appeared in Moist Vessel. Captain Mayer and the USS Carlsbad appeared in Mining the Mines Mines. Mm. And Captain Vendome had originally been an ensign on the Cerritos in Second Contact before rapidly rising through the ranks to take command of the USS Inglewood which we heard about in the least dangerous game. Mm. Last but not least, the crew of the USS Alhambra, who resembled alternate universe versions of the Cerritos crew, was encountered by Ta'ana when she previously boarded the wrong ship at Douglas Station in Veritas. That's right. <laughs> Talyn, who first appeared in the episode Wedge Dudge, returns having now transferred to the Cerritos from her original posting on the Shrival. Mm-hmm. She is wearing the previous rank lozenge of an ensign, the provisional rank lozenge of an ensign, in the same style as that worn by former Maki officers on USS Voyager. In the franchises, not just this series, but the entire franchise's first post-credits scene, Rutherford's original implant containing Badgie being, salv is being salvaged from the wreckage of the pack-led clump ship. From no small parts it had previously lit up when it was shown floating among the flotsam as peanut hamper constructed her ship in a mathematically mm. perfect redemption but i want to talk about something that this trivia did not go into okay the sound effect of the uh tractor beam okay was not federation issue is not by any alpha or beta quadrant species that i'm aware of it really sounded more like a borg tractor beam okay okay i just watched first contact a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. you know what you're kind of right yes it does sound and you know what's really interesting about the borg after the end of star trek voyager we don't know what happened to them hmm because the only way Voyager was able to escape as they were stealing the Borg Transwarp's conduit was by planting a program bomb that in, into their into the uh, hive consciousness mm -hmm. that should have separated ton, tons of, uh, pretty much caused a ton of different Borg drones to regain their individuality and should have crippled the Borg hive mind considerably. Mm. But we do know the Borg were still doing stuff post that because of the Borg cube that shows up in Picard season one. Mm. So interesting that Badgie might be involved with the Borg. Borg. It would be kind of cool to see the Borg come back because yeah. I hope Borg were always my favorite villains. Mm. So yes. What are your thoughts on this episode? This episode, uh, 
Because I know what you said when I texted you to make sure you knew about the after credits yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like it was like okay, this is like be like obviously they they they're in a conference and then uh, the admiral the the mustache twirling admiral admiral Buenamigo yeah Buenamigo decides to be like oh we're gonna we're going to dismiss all the California class for the Texas class which makes no sense it makes no sense whatsoever. Here's the thing. I can see maybe canceling all current missions for the California class yeah. in favor of the Texas class taking over. And that might recall for at least a short amount of time that the Cali class be mothballed, mm -hmm. especially after maybe the Cali class is not as needed as much after the Dominion War, since the sh since Starfleet shouldn't need that many. Um, if the Texas class is truly taking over, uh, you may not need that many manned ships if you've got an automated ship true doing all the grunt work yeah but that's the thing sense. about the california classes it's meant to be the lower decks ships it's mm. not ships of the line like the enterprise or even that sovereign class that showed up in this episode uh -huh. for no good reason yeah just be like oh we can so like we do a sovereign class in here yeah we'll just throw the sovereign class in here and boy they didn't stand up long no which <laughs> threw me for a freaking look like, that's supposed like, to be the most advanced ship in the fleet why is it getting taken out why is it getting taken out by the Granted, the Texas class would have the newer technology, but and it's got a Against computer. A sovereign it's not class. Got a human class, but it's a sovereign class ship. It's a freaking warship. Yes, <laughs> which made no sense. But we'll be like cabinet, you know, <laughs> more, more uh, like the the admiral says, like, oh, we need to scrap all the California class for no reason except for like oh this one crew didn't do it right so we're gonna scrap everything makes no sense it would make more sense okay i mentioned a tos episode in the beginning it's called the ultimate computer in the yeah. trivia that the interface for the alito took its inspiration from mm-hmm in that episode of uh they actually outfitted this computer into the enterprise for the same idea of like, why put a, a manned vessel out there when an unmanned vessel would be able to yeah. do a lot of this stuff. And basically the same reason why, uh, you know, 10, you know, intendees saw that there might've been life there. Mm -hmm. Basically that same sort of minuscule thing, the computer wouldn't catch, but a yeah. human, a, a biological person would yeah. catch. It was the reason why it was done there. But, in fact, in fact, I think at some point someone said, "I'm going to Dunsel." Rutherford says, "I'm going to hit you so hard you'll be like you'll be like Dun you'll be Dunseled or something mm -hmm. like that." Dunsel was came from that episode where uh, they referred to the captain of the ship as being Captain Dunsel because Dunsel was another word for useless. Oh, uh, okay, that makes sense. Dunce, yeah, Dunsel. Dunsel. Yeah. So, um, if they had gone more like that, even though it'd be very obviously more based on the Ultimate Computer, that where they were changing out like taking the command crew out of a california class vessel and putting this computer in charge and then re, re uh changing up all like the crew quarters to mm -hmm. be more uh you know more solid like that we see of the texas class yeah. apparently got replicators built into it yeah and on a mass scale um maybe i could accept it more like that but yeah, mothballing an entire fleet of grunt vessels because you have an automated vessel that looks fancy and shiny and new yeah. is a little odd. It is odd. Now, I also want to say this as a Texan. 
at first I was annoyed that a Californian who wrote this episode, which is why the ship is a California class in the first place. Mm -hmm. I was annoyed that he would cast Texas as the villains, Mm. this Texas class of villains, because, you know, it's not hard to read between maybe the lines where California is great. Texas is evil sort of a thing. Yeah. Except I realized something. Who else would you cast as California's rival? It's only like Alaska. There's not enough people there. Sure. Texas is only a little bit bigger in land area. And it's a little bit under in terms of people just simply because of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But you talk about personalities. I mean, Texas and California are the only two that when you ask someone where they're from, they say that's where they're from. Yeah. Texas California. or California. California. Elsewhere, they might say, oh, I'm from Chicago or mm-hmm. I'm from New York City or New York generally. Yeah. I don't count that because everyone usually means the city when they say New York. Right. Or they might say they're from Florida. No, no one will admit they're from Florida. <laughs> I don't know. Flor- Floridians, I apologize if I just made you mad. But I'm saying in general. Yeah. In general culture, if you're going to cast an entire state against another state Mm -hmm. california and texas are pretty dang close is about the only thing that really makes a lot of sense yeah because we're the only ones that are really antagonistic against each other Mm -hmm. so i'm really more annoyed that texas lost in some ways because we were the villain ship and not the hero ship because the hero ship has to survive yeah this is this is not is it only been if they somehow blown the cerritos up and then you brought it back in another episode Maybe I can believe that, but yeah. that would require the Texas to win, and that would actually be a bad ending for the season. And you wouldn't have this thing with all the the California classes coming together to fend off this mm-hmm. last ship named after a small Texas town that I actually had to look up where it is, despite the fact I live in this state. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. I'm still a little annoyed that Texas was that, I, that the Texas class was cast as villains. Mm. But I've said this from the beginning, that this show is doing a lot better job of setting up the troubles we see later on in Picard than Mm. Picard did. Mm. Because a lot of of what's going to happen, this is a bit of a spoiler. This is Mm. not really a spoiler because Star Trek already showed some of this. Yeah. On first contact day on in 2385, four years after this episode. Okay. April the 5th, 2385. Yeah. While the shipyards at you at in Mars, Utopia Planitia shipyards mm-hmm. in Mars are going to be destroyed, blown up by a terrorist attack. And it's going to be done by a bunch of uh, androids that they had had built mm-hmm. to help speed things along to get ships to go help th- evacuate Romulus from, exp- from the star exploding. Mm-hmm. And that event, while pretty much stopping anyone helping uh, Romulus at that point, Mm -hmm. will cause all synthetic life forms to be banned in the Federation. Mm. Think about who that would mean. Data, by at the end of Nemesis, if you don't know, dies. Yes, yeah. And so the only, so B4 would be the only Noonian robot that would still be active that that would affect. And we see that in Picard, him already being uh, being studied at the Daystrom Institute, being split into different in mm-hmm. different pieces uh 
the doctor from Voyager may have an issue because he's technically a computer program. It's a hol- hologram. Yeah. He's technically a synthetic life form. The exocomps, whatever you say about peanut hamper, I completely agree with. Yeah. But the rest of the entire race, <laughs> probably innocent. Yeah. Of, of any of these crimes. And yet they're going to, something bad's going to happen with them. And all of that is going to come down in 2385, four years after this. And in the original context, there's no reason other than that, the the fact that this one group of synthetics at, uh, attacked mm-hmm. these Nunian style androids attacked and did all this. Granted, we found out later that there was more to it than that, obviously, mm-hmm. but you don't know that when they first bring this up. Right. Um, they really comes out of nowhere when they show that. It's kind of supposed to because it's supposed to be building mystery. Yeah. But no point throughout the whole series they actually go into what all was going on also around that time. This is actually doing a pretty decent job, especially when you get Badgie mm-hmm. being a problem in season one. We get uh, Landrew at the end of season one shows up. We get uh, the evil computer from uh, that one episode in season two mm-hmm. comes up. And then we see Peanut Hamper once she gets uh found again mm-hmm. is, in, is in the same place in the daystrom institute right next to uh that one evil computer mm-hmm. uh and then you have all of the texas class which are synthetic androids probably not of uh noonian soon level intelligence but it's the same ai that powered badgie for the most part mm-hmm. so to normal people, that's not going to be that much of a difference. And then now we know that Badgie is still alive. <laughs> wow, where they, they are really going to show? Yeah, there's not. It's not just going to be oh, this one attack mm-hmm. caused all this hatred to show up. No, it's going to be a constant thing after constant thing to where that attack is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, and I love that this, this is doing the, the show mm-hmm. is doing this when it didn't have to. Agreed. They could have just gone and made a funny show. No, they're actually building lore to move us, move the story of Star Trek forward to make it a point where when Picard happens, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, agreed. Uh, okay, go sorry, ahead. I had to, no. I had to nerd out there for. You're a minute. good. You're perfectly fine. the 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 idea of like that, <laughs> Captain Freeman is just like, oh no, we need to do a race for this. I'm like, you need to do a what? <laughs> You are raced to do this. She no. was panicked because she didn't want to lose her job. I understand that. After I, she I embarrassed totally the entire class in the Federation. Uh huh. I'm surprised she didn't get fired right there. Uh huh. Because she should have been. But it's like, okay, we're going to do this race. I enjoy what they do with Tindy. I really enjoy what they do with Rutherford. Yes. That Rutherford understands, oh, it's the code. Oh, it's this. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's this guy. It's the mustache twirling evil. Yes. That's the one who caused me to lose my memory. You're keeping the you're you're keeping the uh, implant anyway. Yeah, because it's got all these other cool features. Rutherford, your engineering is going to kill you. <laughs> Someday. Bear in mind, we still have evil Boimler out there somewhere. Yeah. He, working working for section 31. Um, yeah. And it's just like, it's like, okay, I totally get that. That's cool. It's uh, Tindy being herself and she's mm-hmm. worried this kind of stuff. I love that. Uh, I'm, 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 there, there's a part of me like when 
Mariner gets brought up because I'm thinking, oh no, be like this is going to be like everybody's worried about Mariner and just like, like everyone was worried about Boimler when he was on the Titan. Yeah, well, I was thinking there it was because that Mariner is kind of our main character. Yeah, in the story, yeah, and it's split between her and Boimler to be to be honest. That but is yeah. true, but it was like okay, they're 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 not focusing on mariner they're focused on everything else going on mm -hmm. besides the captain be like her her grief for what she what she did well everyone feels guilty because they all talked down to mariner and their last last time they talked to her right the only reason they know she's not on starbase 80 anymore is because probably the captain told everybody she's mm -hmm. she left starfleet mm -hmm. or they could easily check those records themselves yeah that was another thing Go kind of going back to the previous episode mm -hmm where the reporter is talking about everything the Cerritos has ever done that, you know, kind of shady, that kind of stuff. This is like a federation who's kind of be like, oh, be like, oh, we've done this. And be like, we want to be very transparent about everything, right? Except this is right after the Dominion War. You know as well as I do that when a war breaks out, yeah. rules change. What you would have gladly done in peacetime in yeah. terms of transparency, you don't do in a war because you don't want the enemy to find out, especially when you have an enemy that will look like you True. and can easily get into stuff down to the thumbprint, mm -hmm. down to stuff that's, that actually but the, only, this is the only way they could tell when uh, that a person was not a changeling was to take a blood sample. So it's very much like uh, the thing from uh, John Carpenter's The Thing in yeah. that way. So that's the situation they're coming out of. So they have, still have a lot of security stuff still in place. A lot of that, that paranoia and panic about who is actually in the Federation. It's one of the reasons why Section 31 appears to be coming back, maybe not as clandestine as they used to be. Mm -hmm. They're coming back maybe almost full force, perhaps, since they have their own special... Mm -hmm. Tom badge again mm -hmm. um so yeah this is a different federation than picard's federation okay that generation. makes more sense this is one coming out of a brutal war that nearly this is like coming out of world war ii mm -hmm. this was not cold war like with the klingons mm -hmm. this was a bloody attack over and over and over again against uh between the federation and essentially the anti-federation mm -hmm that was picking up systems in the alpha quadrant with like the Breen and the Cardassians mm -hmm. and putting, making them part of the dominion. The dominion was trying to take over and they had a good, they it really did look like it was going that way. Mm -hmm. And honestly, because of the way the dominion war stopped in the last episode of deep space nine, mm -hmm. it's kind of sudden. So there's no, what you, you have to think from their point of view, they're still on alert. They don't know what's going to come. That makes it's, sense. It, this is not that was not a war that like the Federation had ever fought before because everyone before that was really more of a cold war. Mm. This was full on military, full on battles everywhere. Uh, so yeah, it's it's this is a different Starfleet that's had to act. Yes, they are returning back to their explorer roots, mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of paranoia involved. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, so that makes a little more sense because I kept thinking it was like, but wouldn't like people in general like like know what these ships are doing even in, the, in the... picard and kirk's time not necessarily because you also have to remember one of the things this is one of the things i don't like about Ab the abrams verse 
these are supposed to be distances far enough away that it's like being on the frontier in the old west back in like uh right after or after the civil war mm-hmm. it's supposed to take time for communications to occur okay it's not meant to be in the instantaneous that we see and that is true probably up until deep space nine yeah because i can see the need of maybe up the upping the the communication speeds oh, between okay. the systems better i got gotcha. you after it's a problem in in the abrams verse in my opinion because they make everything seem like star too much like star wars yeah but i can kind of see why maybe communications social communications might be in better shape at this point because of probably a lot of wartime money was put into mm-hmm. increasing the capabilities of the subspace network yeah i get that i get it so and plus why would a, any military organization publicly talk about every single thing that they even if it's unclassified yeah you don't talk about everything yeah you have no need to and there's some things you probably wish were classified that aren't your brain nobody ever asks about sure such as you know a prominent businessman who owns 70 some odd franchises across the galaxy being kidnapped under your watch true Granted, it was his fault to begin with, but mm. that's not how it would have been uh, talked about, True. especially on Deep Space Nine, which was the, uh, you know, the essentially the front lines of the Dominion War. Mm. <laughs> Bet your communication to that station still in good shape. Understood. Anyway, sorry. Anyways, it's I'm not just... trying to t- tear down every point you bring up. I'm just no. pointing out this is probably why. Yeah, it's it's good points. It's good points. It's like, I, I, I get it, but there's those parts of it's like, okay, so be like, they, they realize that, you know, the, uh, Bon Amigo is the bad guy. And now he's going to be like, oh, because now they know and be like, oh, I, I should have destroyed you. Uh, uh, Rutherford. Pr- Rutherford. Thank you. I should have destroyed everything. Part of you, Rutherford. But it's like, okay, I'm going to have my ship destroy you. Oh, it backfired. It's going to be killing me. No. And it's like, okay, that's kind of funny. But at the same time, it's just like, okay. And then the sovereign class shows up and then it gets white. He's just butt kicked. That was a why? I think because they needed about two more minutes of footage. That is true. But it's like, which in a streaming show should not be a problem. <laughs> it just made no sense for that. This sovereign class, which was like the warship of warships. Yes. It's taken out by just like, at least it wasn't the enterprise that is true it's like oh my gosh that gave me a headache and then it's just like okay like of course mariner shows up and like all the other california class show up i'm like how did she convince all these captains to show up when be like it's mariner and everybody probably knows mariner is not the greatest person to work with mariner has connections that's true she does have connections she has that connection with uh her friend that was on that runs that one ship mm-hmm. and knows that when mariner is actually active on the ball and not actively trying to mess screw stuff up mm-hmm. is probably the best person than starfleet i would the agree way, with the you. way they show that off that's how yeah. it's presented agreed that makes sense uh vendome the boy the bolian uh mm-hmm. captain of that yeah. one ship he knows exactly how she is because he she served under him he knows what kind of character and when you know when push comes to shove she knows that she's probably told the truth and plus 
if she, the way she found out that the Cerritos was getting attacked, mm -hmm. they probably all knew it too. True. And the only reason they hadn't shown up over there anyway is because they needed somebody to say, hey, if we are going to survive as a class, we need to band together and go take out this robot ship. Mm. And Mariner is a very good at being a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, she, she's very good at encouraging, at, at convincing people to do something, to actually, yeah. granted, she misuses this a lot. A lot. But she does, she does have this ability to encourage people to, to, to do stuff they wouldn't, they may not, they want to do, be iffy to do, because you know none of those ships had orders. Right. They probably were in stand-down mode. Because to see how this uh, mission race thing was going mm. to turn out, since it was going to determine, yeah, I don't know why this was allowed to determine this mm -hmm. <laughs> in no the first sense. place where they showed it, but it, to see how this would go, and yeah, the fact that a human, a, a an actual officer found this thing and it actually may have caused an issue, a prime directive issue that the ship, if it malfunctioned, would have skipped. Mm -hmm. It was thankfully just a little bit of dust in the soil, but that has been known to actually be something in star trek mm -hmm. this time it wasn't what if it is next time yeah and it's a texas class that found it and just said oh pff, it wasn't it's not biological life i don't care yeah there i agree with you on that i completely agree yeah it's just it's horrible for me to talk ill of texas but <laughs> it's a fictional ship <laughs> i i get that uh like you, you brought a, a lot of really good points because there again, I, I guess, I've been thinking of this episode for two months, thinking, do I like this or not? Does any of this make rational sense? There yeah. is stuff I don't like that very much feels like it's funny. Of all the episodes, Mike McKayan's episodes are usually the ones I I like the least, mm. and yet he's the creator of the show. Yeah. So it's like, I know he has ideas and he's probably the starter and stopper of these things. And he's probably executive producing the whole thing, mm -hmm. but I don't like his writing style because it involves shacks doing the chariot of fire run to the, to the that warp was stupid. It was stupid. And, but I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then of course, all the Cerritos, the, Cerritos, the California class is showing up. It's like, why not just every man Federation vessel? Why have just one class have all of them show up because this is going to affect all of them. Mm -hmm. Once the Texas class takes out the Cali class, what's stopping it from taking out the, all the old constitution classes, uh -huh. all the old Excelsior classes, all the old Miranda classes mm -hmm. and all the other ships that are still active and still doing good works out there. Eventually the sovereign class is going to be affected by this. Mm -hmm. If it's allowed to continue where, where, you know, you follow it all the way through. Because at some point, someone's going to ask if this one class of vessel can do it without anyone being involved. Why aren't we doing that with all of them? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like self-checkout at a grocery store. Yeah. They started with one or two as a convenience. And now it's really the only thing half the time you can get. True. Except True. where you work. Yeah. For now. For now. Uh, so yeah, but like you brought a lot of points up in there again. I do have a lot of biases towards Mariner because I have I've never I haven't liked Mariner. I know this for a long time, but it's just very easy for me to play devil's advocate because I kind of you, you have to remember my rationale for how this works in Star Trek mm -hmm. because a lot of this really shouldn't. 
mm-hmm. is that this is not what this is not the events that the, that's actually happened. The events that they're portraying don't happen exactly the way we're seeing them. Mm. We are seeing a hollow novel or a hollow drama based on the logs of the four main characters. Yeah. And a lot of them are going to exaggerate, especially since Mariner's one of these four. Mm-hmm. So, a lot, of course, she's going to be putting in all this other stuff that maybe doesn't have anything to do with anything, but shows her being cool. Bormler's going to be focusing on all the uh, cool, the, the cool upper, the, you know, all everything, every, everyone else is doing, especially the stuff on the Titan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rutherford, of course, going to be focusing on the engineering and Tendi. She's focused on all the cool science stuff and all that mm-hmm. cool stuff. And the way their stories mash mash together is why way we get this. Mm-hmm it's that's how that's the lens we are seeing it through now granted there is an episode of strange new worlds mm-hmm. that's coming up that probably i'm going to make us have to review as part of this story arc okay when it happens even though it's live action because of the uh mm-hmm. the fact that it may affect season four okay uh but we'll get to that when we get to season four yeah uh and that if that shows those characters any more standard Starfleet style like the rest of the Star Trek franchise, that will pretty much prove my point mm. that this is not who these characters really are. This is how they're being portrayed by someone who is looking at these logs and trying to get at the heart and pretty much making a comedy out of these events. Because mm. that's what I think is I think that we are seeing some a somebody's remember how earlier in the series when uh when uh there was those rumors going on around about mariner and how yeah. she, that she actually started mm-hmm. that kind of proves what's going on here she is a very much a, a tall tale teller very true and this really does feel like more of that tall tale telling mm-hmm. in some ways i love the show don't get me wrong but yeah. i still don't think this is what actually happened because otherwise why would you make the pack let's I mean, the Packloads are stupid characters. Yeah. Why would you make them that stupid? They're not that stupid. There is, they do follow a logic. There's not like, oh, you want to, so you, you want a peace treaty? That's above my helmet. You're going to need a bigger helmet. <laughs> they're not that stupid. They're yeah. stupid, but they're not that stupid. Quark is that greedy, but he, they, you don't show it that obviously. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um, because I think, because the other thing is, is you look at any anyone playing, reprising their roles on the show, mm-hmm. they're not reprising them how they were playing them. They have an ounce of fun thrown in there. Of course. Because this is not who the characters really are. Even Riker's the best option for this because Riker doesn't throw that much jazz into what he talks and how he talks on the show. Mm. It comes up. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not like a, he's not saying, give me a warp factor into five, six, seven, eight, like at the end of the first season. Uh-huh. It's not like that. Anyway, sorry, I'm geeking out. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, I mean, like, it's uh, like it's trying to look past those biases because they're going to have a bias towards uh, uh, Mariner. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I enjoy what they did. I enjoy what they did with the episode. Um, and it's just like, oh, okay. Like, may- maybe Mariner didn't do what, be like, maybe she didn't do what, me like, everyone because- thought she did. Yeah, everyone thought she did. I was I was halfway expecting that it was something that be like someone pulled something strings in the storyboard, but like, oh, we've got to make this nice. It wasn't really Mariner. Everybody else was doing it. That's my thought. 
That is that it was except a, that doesn't fit her character. I, I get what you're saying if because on a surface, yeah, she's the one who's the pain in the butt. That's a lot of her, but the thing is her character is more complex than that. Yeah. She is the kind of one who would stand up for to someone who was trying to badmouth the California class, especially when she saw who all was being allowed to talk and thought, these people are they're great people. I love them, but they don't know when to keep their mouth shut about certain things. Okay. Which was proven. <laughs> they didn't know when to keep their mouth shut. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. Yeah. Just I get like, your point. I get yeah. your point. And I know you don't like Mariner as a character, mm -hmm. but I, I, I think she's a better character than you're giving her credit for. I, I, can, I, I can see points, but at the same time, looking at like psycho, like through like a psychological lens, it's just more, it's, I have to break, I would literally have to break it down, literally break it down to like who this character is. And it's just like, at some points, it makes no sense why this character would do this. But I understand it's a comedy. Let's have fun with it. But at the same time, be like a character like Mariner would not do this. But that's just me. I think she would under the right circumstances. And I think those were the right circumstances. Okay, fair enough. That's just my thoughts. Yeah, fair enough. Totally fair. Because like, people are more... I, I know people are, people more, are com more complex than they seem. Yes, agreed. Anyway. Agreed. Yeah, be like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was, and there again, trying to not let my biases be like, "Yes, she's gone, bye," <laughs> kind of thing. And besides, you know, just like when Ruther, when a uh, Boimler left at the end of season one, there was no way they weren't gonna find some excuse to bring her back. Yeah, bring him back. Yeah, bring him back. And when she left here, it's like, okay, you're having an excuse. Maybe it won't be till the beginning of season four, but you'll have an excuse to yeah, bring her back. That's and that's, it will make sense. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, it makes sense. She realized, honestly, this her leaving was probably the best thing for her. Okay, yeah. Because she'd been in Starfleet all the time, so leaving, she was allowed that breath of fresh air, but she was already feeling like, yeah, this freedom is nice, but now I want to go back. Mm. And That's maybe true. I have to make sacrifices, even in my ideals, in order to make, make this work, because Starfleet... Is very complex. I, it's mm. not going to fit my ideals all the time. No organization does. Right. So maybe I need to get over myself. Yeah. And in a way, that's what she shows because she went back to a even even though the, she knew the crew felt might probably felt guilty, mm. especially she knew her mother probably felt guilty. Mm -hmm. She was she literally went back to an area where everyone the last time she saw them hated her guts. Yeah. That's hard to do, even if you know they probably are going to forgive you. Yeah. Or they're going to ask to be forgiven themselves. Yeah. That's hard. Mm -hmm. And she still did it. Yeah. Because she knew the right thing to do was because none of the California classes needed to lose their uh, their jobs simply mm -hmm. because, or either broken up simply because this automated new tech thing came through that's obviously not going to be as good as... Uh, people think it is because she studied starfleet history she knows the events of the ultimate computer mm. she knows this is going to go the same way mm. I don't know. i'm probably reading too much into Possibly. it but the one thing i've known is known about mariner from the beginning is that she, she is very idealistic and she wishes starfleet was probably this way it was before the dominion war but the dominion war changed a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and now it's she wants she doesn't like she wants to go to what she believes Starfleet is, maybe mm. not what it actually is. Yeah. And I think 
a lot of this story is going to require her to, and we have seen this, I think, her growing up. Yeah. And coming to the realization. I, I would agree with you. And yes. Definitely in season three, she's grown yeah. up a little, a little as a character. Now, I, I think still, she's grown overall, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with you on that. Be like, she has grown up. She has grown. She has matured in some mm -hmm. ways. Uh, my hope would be in season four, it's that you see that Mariner has turned a new leaf and she's, you know, not this, you know, you know, a, a um, obnoxious, obnoxious about She's, everything. That is the thing. She is obnoxious. And to some degree, I, that is going to still be part of her character because mm. that's just how she is. But hopefully she's, we can even see at the beginning of this season, she was starting to have more respect for the chain of command, even if she was still being very free-spirited about how she did things a little bit more respect. a little bit and now we're getting she's got she she actively asks for ransom to be her mentor mm -hmm. despite the fact that granted part of that's like yeah i want to bug ransom because it's fun yeah bear in mind she thought he was hot in that one episode of season one sure when he went full federation yeah so maybe there's some um, i don't know she technically is also dating jennifer so right. who knows? i don't know I don't know how it's going to go. I think she is learning. Boimler has had to, has had a lot of growth this season mm -hmm. with the whole bold Boimler thing, which has yeah. been good or ill sometimes. But for the most part, it works for him. Right. Agreed. It's worked for him a lot. Uh, Tendi has grown as a uh, science, not, mm -hmm. not just in, in, as you know, being in the science officer mm -hmm. training, but also in her acceptance of who she is. Because... Mm. In the it's in the DS9 episode, she had to go back. She had to rely on her Orion Pirate training because mm -hmm. apparently she's a pretty big deal in the Orion Pirate Syndicate. Apparently, we still don't know what all that's about yet. Even though in that one episode, someone called her princess. Mm. <laughs> um, and then you got Rutherford, who has had the most plot of the entire show so agreed, far agreed what with the implants and we finally get a lot of answers in mm -hmm. this uh, this last episode mm -hmm. so i i'm curious where they're going with his character too yeah if we're talking about characters who had the least amount of uh character growth mm. that goes to miglimo because he's still the same stupid bird he was when we first met him <laughs> That is true. Making food puns. Yeah, food puns needs our time. Agreed. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to season four whenever that comes out. It's and supposed to come out at the end of next year. I'm guessing we will not jump on that immediately. Uh, especially if we are still in the middle of either X-Men or we've started something else. Yeah. Because we will have to jump on something as soon as we finish X-Men. Mm -hmm. uh but the next time we are able to jump in and talk about season four maybe when season five is coming out like we did these well yeah i'm definitely looking forward to that and yeah. we'll, i'm glad be happy to see where this goes agreed so uh you got anything else before we cut out of here we do need to talk about what we're reviewing next yes which for the actual show is a you well i keep saying a youtube video it is a fan animation i believe yeah they're sure or at least it's someone who did some animation yeah they're uh apparently i'm not signed into google sheet uh yes i know so we're next week we're reviewing the short my cat lucy mm. what is that about 
that is I'm not gonna spoil it because there it's a short and it's interesting. It's a it's a guy in his cat. And okay. The the cat does some very interesting things. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna leave that up to like Drew over here watching it just to see his reaction. It's like, okay, that's what's happening. Okay. And then uh for animated series we're going to be looking at the first two episodes of x-men the animated series night of the sentinels parts one and two nice and that's how we are starting off 2023 yep so join us next week for that in the meantime this has been drew this is jacob and if i can hit the buttons in the right order i can play the outro uh, and we'll catch you in the next frame you can follow jacob on his facebook at jacob v heron his Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox to Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page, Drew's photo bin to see his photography. His letterbox page at G. George 759. His Twitter at G. George 759. And Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at the Cellcast Podcast, on Twitch at the Cellcast Gaming, on YouTube at Cellcast, on Twitter at Cast underscore Cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us, and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information, please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L. I want to be a dentist. He's definitely not getting a hold of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>